Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Today, Rado runs through episode 82 of the podcast. And hello, folks. Welcome once more. Apologies for folks who are watching this on YouTube rather than listening on their podcast device of choice. I know it's a mess. Oh, but this week has been a mess. Ever since Jen signed up on her charitable mission to raise funds for the people of Ukraine uh, by donating to Care.org, a fantastic organization recommended by Ignacy Trevcheck of Portal Games, uh, you know, our life has been really kind of cattywampus because it's been so successful. She's pulled in over 200 orders now, which is a lot. And so she is burning the midnight oil trying to get all of these pieces made and sent out. And uh, we're so happy that, I mean, we're pretty confident she's raised well over $5,000 for humanitarian relief so far. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're so happy with the result that even as stressful as it is, she is incredibly excited and energized to keep on working. Every one of these things she makes uh, with love is just, uh, and is going to go out in the mail to all of you who are supporting the effort. If you haven't heard, don't know what I'm talking about, uh, go to ukraine.rado.com, U-K-R-A-I-N-E.rado.com. That'll take you to her Etsy store where you could buy one of these uh, special Ukrainian flag colored Whitwatt. I had a whole bunch of them in here, but they've now been sold. They've been sent around the world uh, to folks who are wanting to help save people's lives. So if you want to know more about that, go check it out. But that's not what you're here for. You're here to uh, hear a bunch of jibber-jabber about games and then a bunch more jibber-jabber about non-game stuff. You're in the right place. I thought this was going to be a fairly short episode this month because we just didn't get as many questions as normal to questions at rotto.com. And yet I think the whole thing is going to come in at over three hours. So sit back, relax, uh, and uh, let me show you how it's done as we get going right after this. Okay, folks, it is time for the gaming questions. Let's get to it. We are starting with Andrew, who says that uh, Andrew sees gamers complaining about games that aren't perfect. Maybe typos, mistinted cardbacks, errata. Uh, and Andrew is guilty of this as well. Uh, Andrew can't figure out if we as gamers deserve a flawless product, or should we just be accepting uh, games as they are from the publisher, as long as they're playable? Where do I think board games fall in the spectrum of, say, a new car, we expect a new car to be perfect from the factory, to a work of art. We accept the piece as is, uh, because it's what the artist intended. Or are they more like postage stamps, produced en masse, mostly flawless, quirks or mistrants actually make them more valuable? Um, I don't think you're ever going to convince anybody who's upset that, oh, you've got, you've got the first edition with the mismatched back color cards. I don't think anybody's ever going to go for, oh, that increases its value. It's, it is an interesting thing. And I will admit, Andrew, I have certainly fallen into this trap myself. Um, although the main, I, I've really kind of let it go. Uh, I will not burst into song, but man, I love that song so much. Over the years, 
I have mellowed out and just let go. Because, I mean, you know, in, in your question, you did get to the heart of it. Was, is the game still playable? Does it actually affect your ability to enjoy and have a fun time? If... If, if the game got damaged in transit, or the box got damaged, but the game itself is fine, or there were misprints, or you know things off-center, that used to drive me nuts. And I'll be honest, in part, it drove me nuts, because I used to have a more mercenary approach to games. Uh, my attitude was always, oh, what if I don't like the game? I'm going to need to be able to trade it, or sell it in an auction, or a math trade, or something like that. And people are going to be less um, interested in it. Its value is decreased, and I will not be able to get as claw as much value back. Now, of course, in the world I live in today, I don't have that problem. I only buy a handful of games, mostly expansions a year, because I, I do Rotto Runs Through. So I, I, I kind of got off that rat race. But I think that eventually, someday, I will... Um, I was going to say, hang up the Rotto hat. But no, no, no. I will pass the baton on to the next generation. I hope this channel exists forever. I hope Rotto runs-throughs, not as a person, but just as a style of demonstrating games, is something that we'll still see in the board game industry 20 years from now. Um, when Shay eventually steps down and hands the baton on to somebody else, or, or who knows. That's kind of my long-term goal. But whenever that happens, and I get back to, oh, I, I just got to buy them like a normal person, I, I hope that my current attitude, born of privilege of just getting my games for free, will be able to carry on. I, I can't think of one thing. Before I started doing Rondo Runs 2, another obsession I had was getting every single promo. Ah, this game is garbage if I can't get all the promos. And I've come to realize it's just not important. Is there enough in the box for me and my wife to have a good time? Then none of it matters. It doesn't matter if the box got dinged. It doesn't matter if I have to draw from the bottom of the deck instead of the top of the deck because the, the, because the card backs are, are a different shade of fuchsia. As long as we're having fun. And like I said, that's easy for me to say, but I hope it's a lesson I will be able to continue into civilian life when I retire. Um, but I, I, can't, I can't fault anybody. I mean, hey, I mean... I, I, it is not for me to say, I think there's another question about this that's coming later, uh, whether you should or should not, or how you should or should not enjoy your games. Hey, if it really bothers the heck out of you that the top right corner got crunched, even if it has nothing to do with the gameplay, but you just know it's there on the shelf, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry about that. And you know, I, I, I hope you can find other games that you will be able to enjoy. The main thing I would take away from all of this is there are we are all so lucky. There are so many games, so many games. And if you can't enjoy a given game for whatever reason, I guarantee you, there's 500 other games you can enjoy. You know, find somebody who isn't bothered. Uh, you know, Board Game Geek has so many great ways for you to. Shed yourself of the things that make you unhappy by selling them used or engaging in math trades or all kinds of stuff. You do not have to be shackled. You do not do not let this cardboard ever make you unhappy. Its sole purpose is to make you happy. And if it doesn't, move on. Let it go and just move on to the next game that does make you happy. That's the important thing. Um, it is kind of my just gut feeling about that question. Let's see here. Next up, Andrew asked, if I could have any one of my Euro games be get the legacy treatment, what would it be? And now he adds a little extra wrinkle. Which would it be if I could no longer play that game ever in any form after I completed the campaign in the expansion? So that's really two questions. Let's go to ranked.rado.com. Let's take a look at my games. Alrighty. I need to bring up the browser. I need to go to ranked.rado.com. 
which anybody can go to and see how I rank my collection of 400-some games. So it's going to be something really at the top. What do I want? So it's an interesting question. Well, first of all, what would I just really want? Honestly, it's Agricola. I am so desperate! No, it doesn't have to be... I mean, here's what I'm desperate for. I am desperate for Lookout Games to contact Alexander Fister and say, Hey, Alex, we would love for you to make a new expansion for our revised Agricola. And what we'd really like you to do... Don't worry, we'll handle all the cards and stuff. we got people coming up with that stuff seven ways to Sunday. We want you to bring that narrative thing that you do in Maracaibo and uh, Oh My Goods and Blackout. We want an expansion that creates a multi-generational narrative campaign that players can play. And it's also a means of introducing a whole bunch of new cards and new gameplay features and stuff like that. I have wanted that forever. I mean, I can think of few games that I personally would get more invested in, because Agricola is the story of multiple generations. There's just nothing tying all those generations of family together. Um, and I would love a game that, you know, uh, you know, covers a legacy, hence the name Legacy, of, you know, 20 generations of a family, and, you know, all living in the same house. And us changing that house, and it growing, and shrinking, and unlocking envelopes to say, Oh my god, we get a whole second field! But then later on, there's a plague, and we lose the field, or whatever it might be. There's so many things that could be done there. I mean, just look at how much has been done with Agricola over the years. So that's what I want. But I don't want to never be able to play Agricola again. So, for your second question on this line, Andrew, what do I want to be able to do this with that I'd be happy to say, Oh my gosh, that was so amazing. I mean, because I, 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 I could see that being done for anything. Well, first of all, it's not going to be one of my favorite games of all time. So I'm going to scroll down. I'm going to get into my sevens. Um, if you ever go to rank.rado.com, folks, things that are uh, nine, between nine and ten. I don't have a ten. I have various things from nine. Those are about as close to perfect, uh, my favorites of all times. Eights are really fantastic. I just love this game, but it's not perfect, but oh my god. It's not as close to perfection as a game can get, but they're wonderful. I'd never, I, 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 it would break my heart to lose them. Sevens are getting more into the realm of, yeah, I really like this game. If, but I, I, I'd be fine giving it away as a gift. Um, you know, if, if, if it, if it, uh, if it wasn't in my life anymore, that'd be okay. And then I have a small handful of sixes, which honestly, a sixes, yeah, it's okay, but I have no desire to keep it. And the only reason I keep these sixes around is because generally loves them, um, or because I can't get rid of them. Oh, and I have gotten rid of them. I used to have a few more sixes. Now all I've got is Adlung Land, which I should probably should get rid of, but I can't imagine there's any interest in it. But anyway, sorry. So I want to look at sevens. These are the ones that if I were, oh my gosh, Rattle Battle Grab the Loot. Wow, that would be a phenomenal experience. That would be so... I mean, the game is already so much about <clears throat> you know, building up your pirate ship, and there's so much cleverness and variety in the different... Uh, ex, um, you know, There's only been one expansion for it, but just in the base box, there was so much great stuff. And you know, Ignacia, just... I, I, rattle Battle Grab the Loot. That makes a lot of sense. Turn that into a legacy campaign, and once it's done... But all those dice! I wouldn't want to get rid of all those dice. What else? What else might be a good one? Hmm, that I really want to, that I would be okay. See, I don't want to get rid of any of my sevens either, but I could. I, I'm much more comfortable with that. Let's see, what really jumps out at me as a, uh, as a, as a great one? Oh, oh, it's a no-brainer. Star Trek Expeditions. Reiner Knizia's Star Trek Expeditions, as far as I'm concerned, is the best Star Trek board game there is. 
It really is. I've played a bunch of them. I'm hoping to play the new Fantasy Realms spinoff. I've played um, Attack Wing, and I've played the uh, Mage Knight remake, which I can't think of the name. And I've played the the you know basically Arkham Horror the uh, Arkham Horrorizing, you know, which is a big gigantic. Well, I've, I've played all the big ones. Obviously, there's a lot of war games and whatnot I haven't played over the years. I have played uh, Star Trek Catan. I have played Star Trek Panic. I love Star Trek. It's one of my favorite. IPs of all time. But all of them, I think, are inferior to Reiner Knizia's Star Trek Expeditions. Reiner Knizia doesn't do co-op games very much. And people forget, he did the Lord of the Rings co-op game back in the year 2000 that really kind of kicked off. I mean, everybody, you know, rightly points to Pandemic as a thing that really, um, you know, made co-ops a thing in the industry. But Reiner Knizia was there eight years earlier. Um, you know, I guess too early. Uh, the industry wasn't ready for it, but Lord of the Rings was a great co-op and continues to be a great co-op. And Star Trek Expeditions, I love it. I think it's great. And um, my only complaint with it is, oh man, I, I mean, it got one expansion which introduced Scotty and Sulu, if I recall correctly, and pretty much nothing else. I have been desperate for what I really wish the game would have had was a uh, system that could, could have automatically generated um, missions. I mean, that's what Pandemic is. Pandemic is an automatically... I mean, because uh, Star Trek Expedition is basically Pandemic set in Star Trek. A Pandemic-style fighting fires, running around, beaming down on a planet, beaming back up to the Enterprise, dealing with Klingons, all kinds of stuff. But it has one story. So it's like you play one episode of the classic original Trek, even though it's using um, the J.J. Abrams um, art. You know, uh, Chris Pine and... Uh, and all of them. But uh, it's it's like you play the same episode over and over again. And there is a lot of variety. It is. I've kept it. It is a game that is fun to play. I've kept it in spite of the fact that it has a lot of roll to resolve dice, which is not great, but it's okay. But I love it so much that I would enjoy it in spite of that. But man, if an expansion came out that turned it into an epic season of adventures going from one planet to another and things happen that change and um you know that introduce new crew members that old crew members die maybe even you know big names i mean man that would be how amazing would that be if you were playing a legacy version of star trek and events could happen that could lead to um uh, uh, man i keep thinking of everybody and oh, they've all died in real life and it's kind of sad so i'll say that they could lead but you i mean they could lead to captain kirk dying in a real way in a pandemic legacy season one kind of way. That would be so incredible to me. I want to experience that. Um, and then, oh, somebody, you know, and then, you know, what does that mean? Spock steps up. And I mean, that could be so incredible. It would be so amazing because the game itself is very good that I, I would be willing to make that trade and never play it again. So I say to you, Andrew, or uh, yeah, Andrew, uh, Star Trek Expeditions is the game I would like to turn into a legacy game that is so incredible that I don't mind if I never get a chance to play it again afterwards. What a weird thought exercise. You're weird, Andrew, but it was fun. Um, alrighty. Okay. And um, Andrew said, adds, I don't think true legacy expansions are a thing. Could be wrong. Uh, but it would be great for your games. I completely agree. Um, what could it be? I mean, yeah, I mean, could you do that? Could you make an expansion? I mean, Arguably, that's what uh, Clank and Aeon Zinn, because those are standalone games that are legacy games where you make permanent changes, you know, apply stickers, write stuff on, and whatnot, but they are completely compatible with the existing. So to me, they kind of feel like expansions uh, to the existing stuff that can intermingle. So that kind of happens. Anyway, we are moving on to Andrus, who uh, watched my. Uh, 
not-so-recent interview with an ex-co-worker from the video game industry. That would be when John Garvin and I sat down for a couple of hours and reminisced about the uh, all the behind-the-scenes stuff of making Siphon Filter. He was the uh, lead artist. I was the lead designer on the original Siphon Filter. And so that's what Anders is talking about. If anybody wants to see that, just go to rotto.com, which basically takes you to youtube.com slash rotto. Scroll down to the other stuff section, and um, or maybe there's like an interview section. And if you scroll a little bit to the right, you'll find it. Uh, but anyway, it, 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 I had a great time doing it. It was, it was great to catch up with John Abner, not talk to him for like over a decade. Anyway, um, Andres recently watched a YouTube video with Sid Meier, who is a famous uh, video game designer, and there was a copy of Memoir 44 and other board games in the background in the interview. And I thought that I would love to see what video game industry giants think about board games, says Andres. If only in board game media there was a person with connections and experience in the video game industry who could make it happen, smiley face, hint, hint, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. P.S., I know it'd be a lot of work for you. Yes, uh, so Andres is not asking a question. Andres is making a request that I am sorry, I am not going to fulfill. But um, I can confirm for you, Andres. Oh, whoops, shoot, I have I did not put the uh, browser back up. Whoopsie. Let's put the browser back up so people can see what I'm actually uh, asking here because I just left my rank.rotocon for a moment. Oh, I'm so sloppy, but that's okay. I make goofs. It's part of my it's part of my charm. Anyway, though, so Andres, uh, what I can say is, yeah, if you work in the video game industry, there are ample opportunities for you to become a diehard board gamer. Pretty much in any company anywhere in the world. Uh, I mean, it was when I got out, it was really starting to catch on. And when was that? That was. 2012, I guess. 2011, 2012 was when I finally retired and said, I can't do this anymore. And um, for the previous two years, I had been ravenously playing board games every lunch with a bunch of my co-workers. And games you wouldn't expect me to be playing. We played... I have played... Not hundreds, but dozens of hours of Small World. Oh man, we played Small World till the cows came home. I was very good. And, uh, yeah, and I, I, w- I can only imagine that that group has now grown and expanded and switched into, uh, you know, after-hours gaming as well. When I was at Lionhead, Peter Molyneux apparently weekly held a, a, uh, a get-together at his house. And I was told about it. The people could come, and they were there to play board games. And I thought, what? And, and now this is getting back in, like, what, 2000... Uh, uh, you know, 2004, 2005, 2006, and um, I didn't know. I didn't know board games existed at the time in in, in what we think of it as it today. You know, modern desire board games. And I thought that's weird. Everybody's going to Peter's house to play Monopoly and Sorry and Yahtzee. No, 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 no. It must be they're all going there to play Magic the Gathering and uh, and Warhammer miniature battle stuff. That's what it has to be. Um, but no, no, they were getting together in you know in the in the uh, in the aughts in the mid aughts playing whatever was available, playing Euros, playing um, uh, probably not Pandemic that hadn't come out yet. And uh, I wish. I, I, I was invited, and I'm like, oh, that sounds terrible. I don't want to do that. And I wish I'd gone. I would have jump-started my entire career. Uh, what, what I now think of as my career. And, um, and yeah, so I think that's pretty common. It's not at all surprising to me that Sid Meier has a copy of Memoir 44 and other stuff in, in, in his office, just on the shelves. I am... I used to be a. I used to frequently post in a secret invite only video game industry website. It's called Game Illuminati. You could go to it, but you can't get in unless you're invited. And uh, there were back when I used to post there. There was you know a relatively regularly active thread or a couple of them devoted to board games. 
uh, because yeah, we were just all into it and we were all looking for a fix. So I mean, it's uh, you're right. That would be an interesting video to make, and there would be ample tons of uh of source material, and you could do all kinds of interviews. That's not going to happen though. Not me, man. Um, yeah, that door is closed. That would be a lot of work, but I'd certainly watch it. Uh, that, that would be very, very interesting. Okay, Gerard hopes that I had a good time at Dice Tower West. Yes, I did. Uh, it was nice meeting you, Gerard. Running into you a few times. Um, oh, what did we play? We actually played a game, didn't we? I can't remember what it is now. Played a lot of games, but anyway, there were a lot of games that Gerard enjoyed at the show. Uh, he thinks the most play, his most played game, was Ark Nova. And he saw that being played multiple times. And so, yes, do I think Arc Nova will be the next Wingspan? I don't think so. I think it'll be the next Terraforming Mars. I think it could be the next Terra Mystica. I think it could be the next Mage Knight. I'm thinking of like, you know, big, heavy, crunchy, Euroy style games. I think it could be the next Spirit Island. I mean, because those are all huge. I mean, every single one of those ones I just mentioned are big behemoths of the industry, but they are chump change consider con- next to uh, uh, to uh, Wingspan. Wingspan has gone... Wingspan is approaching Catan level of impact and sales. I mean, didn't wasn't it announced Wingspan has sold 10 million copies or something absolutely phenomenal like that? Uh, and, you know, so yeah, I mean, there's, there's, what's the next wingspan? That's going to be something that comes along maybe twice a decade, something, although I expect that will speed up. So no, it will not be the next wingspan. Um, but it'll be, I mean, it'll make it. Yeah. There's no way Ark Nova won't make it into the top 25 highest ranked games on board game geek as more and more people get their hands on it. It's that good. I guess the big question is, will it eclipse terraforming Mars? Cause I think terraforming Mars is in the top 10. Will it make it into the top 10? It's definitely possible. It's, I can't stress just how good it is. And while, if you watch my very long Final Thoughts video on it, I definitely have issues with it to keep it out of my top 20. It isn't... Let's see. Let's look. Uh, let's go back to the browser. Where did it sit after I played it now five times? Uh, games.rado.com. And then if I do Arc Nova, it is my number 43 out of whatever this list is. Out of 400 and something like that. Yeah, so it's in my top 50. Out of my top 394 games. 300, um, right, maybe though. So I think, to answer your question, that's where it, it's going to go up. But it, I mean, Wingspan made the hop uh, to mass market stuff. The first time I saw Wingspan, Jen pointed this out to me, being discussed on, it was like a Better Homes and Gardens style-like website. And Jen was there looking for some garden information. She said, hey, is this... Is that a game we play? Is, that, is this that game? I'm like, oh my god, yes it is. Why are they talking about it here? Well, you know, a billion miles away. I mean, uh, Ark Nova... Ark Nova is not going to get that. I mean, Ark Nova can't. I mean, it's... Wingspan is a big, complex beast. You know, relatively. It's, it's kind of like not a lightweight. It's not a gateway or a gateway plus. But it's not quite a medium weight either. But Wingspan... Uh, I think a lot of people tend to forget, is brilliantly designed to come right out of the box and be very, very playable for casual players. They, you know, Stonemaier Games really bent over backwards to make it approachable with, you know, like pre-stacked decks, the same way Aeon's End and whatnot does. And that's hugely important. Um, Ark Nova, the subject matter, I certainly think, could have the potential. But no, a three, you know, an, an hour per player game with that level of complexity and without all the stuff Wingspan did to make it more approachable for new gamers... 
yeah, it's not going to happen. But it is still going to make it into the top 25 of Board Game Geeks of all time, and it will continue to be a monster seller, much like uh, Terraforming Mars, I believe. Okie doke. And I'm going to pause there for a second. I was just quiet, so I'd be able to spot this, because I just heard a raid, and what the heck. Let's come back. Hey, everybody. Who just raided? What's going on? Um, M. Peebles brought a party of 12. Hello, M. Peebles. How are you doing? Let me tell you what we're doing. I am recording my monthly podcast. People send questions to questions at rado.com. I sit down for an hour or so and answer those questions. In years past, I just did it by myself and then put the podcast up. These days, I stream it live. And if you stick around to the end, I'm about halfway through the questions right now. If you have questions, ask them and I will answer them as part of the podcast also. Although, here's the trick. If you want to have any questions for me, for Rado, about the industry or my channel or anything like that, start the question with a question mark. That will put it into a special queue so I'll be able to find it. Right. And now, let's get back to where I was. I was answering Gerard's questions. So, uh, podcast... Back to Word. Get another drink of water. Taking a break for a second. And thank you for the raid, by the way, um, M. Peebles. M. Peebles. M. Peebles. Okay. Welcome to the party, everybody. <clears throat> okay. Let's see. Now I'm going to be quiet for a second. Okay. And then Gerard adds, they were both great designs from first-time designers. I don't think that's true. I am almost positive Elizabeth... Hargrave had actually published Tussie Mussie before Wingspan came out. Now, of course, they came out at the same time. I'm sure she's been working on tons of designs. Uh, whereas uh, the designer of Arc Nova, it was literally his first alligate. But I mean, I, um, still, they're, uh, the, the, the order of magnitude of sales between these two games... Wingspan, there's very little in the industry that can touch Wingspan. Like I said, Wingspan is getting up there to Catan levels. It's getting up there to... Um, I can't think of anything else. I mean, there's very few games that have gotten... That, that we love, that we consider you know enthusiast hobbyist games that have reached those upper heights. I mean, there are other ones. I just can't think of them off the top of my head. Uh, anyway, though. Uh, Gerard then continues. Were there any games at uh, Dice Tower West Convention that jumped out at me other than Ark Nova? Uh, yeah, I... Well, the best one, uh, a fan of the show named Jin came by and sat down with his... I'm not sure if it was girlfriend or wife, uh, but we all played a game of Wind the Film, an older game from Sashi and Sashi. And he said, I think you're going to love this. And he was right. I absolutely loved it. I was just raving over it. I couldn't get enough of it. Such a clever little, um, very tension-filled card game about card drafting. And um, it has the... Oh, what is the game? Um, Bonanza thing where you can't rearrange the cards in your hand, but uh, you know, other than using special effects, and you have to do that. Wind the Film is a phenomenal game. It was probably my favorite discovery of the show. But yeah, Arc Nova was fantastic. You know what? Hold on a second. I can't remember everything. Let's go back to the browser, and let's go to Instagram, uh, where I post pictures of every game I play. And that will jog my memory as to what I played at the show. Yeah, Wine the Film was fantastic. Oh my gosh, Dice Miner. Dice Miner is so good. I played it with Ruel Gaviola. Played two games back-to-back. I could have easily played another half-dozen games. I Right then. Just mind-boggling just how sharp and fun this little... Um, you know, luck... Uh, you know, uh, you know, luck... 
No, not not luck. There is definitely a thought. I mean, we were all talking about this as we were playing and analyzing it. No, there are definitely important decisions you can make. Uh, Although luck does play a part in Dice Miner as well. Really like that. Oh, oh, but oh my gosh. Welcome to the moon. I have to get my hands on this. I like... Jen and I both really like Welcome To a lot. And we've got, you know, a few of the expansions, you know, like the Halloween Street and... uh, I can't remember what they all are. Oh, the Post-Apocalypse one and stuff like that. And those are all very, very nice. But Welcome To the Moon, which I guess comes with like... I I forget, like either 6 or 12 new variants. Um, The first map you play in Welcome To the Moon, because it has a story you can play through... Plays just like, um, you know, Welcome To, with just like some little twist. You're filling up a rocket ship rather than a suburb in France. And, and that was nice. It was okay. Although, man, one of the worst rules oversights I've ever seen that was made it so misleading. Uh, you Definitely, if you get Welcome to the Moon, and you're before you play the first mission, download the FAQ. Um, the FAQ does a terrible job explaining the very interesting rule, but then there's an example that finally makes it clear how to play the first mission. But yeah, I don't... I mean, the first mission was just kind of like Welcome to with some extra stuff. The second mission of Welcome to the Moon was so mind-bogglingly redefining of the Welcome to Flip and Ride experience, it blew all of our minds. We were all... Because I think I played a five-player game of this, and we were... I mean, once we figured it out, we were... I mean, geez louise. If the rest, if the other new things keep up the second level of quality as the second mission of Welcome to the Moon, I might have to say Welcome to the Moon makes my top 10 of 2021. I really need to get a copy of it and play it more and play it with Jen before I do my revisit of the best games of 2021, which I'll be doing in April or May. Um, Because there's always a few games I miss. And I got, and Welcome to the Moon's second mission is just. Uh, all right, what else did I play? Oh, I played um, uh, Chai. Oh, what was the name of it? Chai or Chai T for two. So, very surprising game. I thought this was going to be a, just a simple little lightweight two-player game, but you, if we, we played on the more complex, the heavier side of the board, and it was crunchy. The production of getting our tea leaves harvested and oxidized and um, you know converted into packaging tea and loaded up on ships. It was really nice. I really want to play this with Jen. I got a chance to play it with a couple different folks. Really enjoyed it. And I think Jen's going to love it. So Chai Tea... Uh, and, it's, and by the way, it's the same subject matter as Chai, but a radically different game. It's, it's not just like, oh, we took the original Chai um, with its you know, uh, sliding tiles. And, and you know, it's a totally different style. Uh, what would you call it? I don't know exactly what I would call it. It's kind of worker, a dice worker placement game, a dice worker placement game. But the production methodologies, the the uh, the assembly line approach is great in Chai T for Two. Really dug that. Then what else? Oh, played Oak. Um, that's actually just launched this morning. So you can, I don't have to go on to it very long. You can watch my run through and hear what I thought then. But uh, we all thought it was great, even though if you played, if you're listening to this podcast now. I'm no rules there. I played with a couple other guys. I do not remember your names. I'm sorry. But if you ever hear this, please understand, we played the rules messed up. I made a goof. We were supposed to start with six of each resource at the beginning of the game. So we all thought the game was great. We were all very impressed by it. But we all thought, wow, it starts a little slow. And that was my fault. It doesn't start slow. I sense getting home. I played it with Jen. It's great. Uh, so, if guys, I played um, uh, Oak. Bear that in mind. 
Okay, then what else did I play? Oh, Fantasy Realms. Uh, yeah, I played it as, a, I think I played a six-player game with Shay. Shay showed up. I had a great time playing with him and some other folks. And, uh, and no, I also uh, played it with uh, Jeff from Board Game Geek. It's a two-player game. Jeff from, uh, you know, it was like the organizer of Board Game Geek Con. He was undercover at Dice Tower West. And we got to sit down for the first time ever and play a game because he wasn't just like running around, just constantly making sure everything was working smoothly. He just got to go in and play games and travel around in Cognito because he's not a very well-known person, uh, you know, uh, personages from uh, Dice Star. But oh, yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, Fantasy Realms is so great, and I really wanted to play it because I'm really excited about the new Star Trek retheme of it, and I wanted to get Fantasy Realms fresh in my mind so that I'd be able to compare and contrast. So I'm, as I mentioned earlier in this very episode of the podcast, I love Star Trek games so much, so I cannot wait for the new Star Trek Fantasy Realms uh, offshoot. So I played some of that, had a great time. It's so good. For the record. If you put Fantasy Realms in front of me and you put Red Rising in front of me, I would rather play Red Rising. But I do, I totally understand why anybody would say, oh, but Red Rising, it complicates things, it adds a bunch of extra stuff, and I just like the simplicity and the purity of Fantasy Realms. I like it too. I just like a little bit more crunch and a little bit more toys to play with, you know, plates to keep spinning. So Red Rising is the better game for me, but oh man, Fantasy Realms is so good. And again, what is up with them not putting two-player? The, the, the two-player rules that are in the box... Officially, if you look at it, pick up Fantasy Realms at a, at a game store, and you see, oh, I, I wonder if this is any good two-player. It literally says three-player minimum. That's They're literally lying to you. I can't say how much money they're turning away because it is a fantastic two-player game. Wacky. WizKids. Okay, then, oh, I played uh, Namiji, which is the sequel to Takedo. If you like Takedo and you want just a tiny bit more crunch, a little bit more to think about, um, this is a great sequel. If you, and, and like me, you were never that big a fan of Takedo, it, this isn't going to change your mind. But if you, I mean, it's beautiful, it's smooth, it's fast, it's elegant. I would certainly play Namiji, N A M I J I, over Takedo. Let's see. And then, uh, oh, and then Ark Nova, of course. And uh, yeah. And I think that's it. I did play a few other games, but you'll notice I didn't take pictures of them because I didn't like those games. And if you know my show, folks, you know me. I do, I mean, I was raised if the, um, if you don't have something nice to say, don't say anything at all. So the games I play, they're like, oh, eh, meh. You'll never hear me ripping a game apart uh, publicly because I don't want to hurt other publishers. There were a few misses, but I mean, all, those were all fantastic hits. So I had a great time at the convention. Okay, let's see. Back to the questions from Gerard. Uh, oh, Gerard just saw my run through evoke, which I just talked about. A great design. Uh, many great games to play. Yes. Oh, it. You know, it. How lucky are we that we have all. We're, the, the, the circumstances of our life has put us in the uh, trajectory of modern designer board games at this time. I mean, looking back 100 years from now, people say, wow, what must it have been like to be there when game after game after game was just reinventing the wheel? And I mean, it just must have been incredible. It is. It's so incredible. I, we're all so lucky, and I'm so happy, and I enjoy it all so much. Oh, again, I'm a fairly positive, upbeat person, folks. Uh, so don't mind me. All right, Kirk. Wonders, the most recent announced title from Board and Dice, Nightmare Cathedral, has Kirk quite intrigued. But if only because it's so different from anything Board and Dice has done before. What are my initial impressions of it, and will I, or maybe Shay, be covering it 
uh, assuming you are contacted. We have been contacted. Um, and uh, the contributors have definitely... Shay can't do it. As uh, Did I mention? Shay is going to be um, taking a backseat because he's getting married. Uh, congratulations, Shay. Oh, I'm so happy for you. That's great. So Shay's going to be slowing down until May. So Shay couldn't do it. But the other contributors, they have definitely expressed interest. So I'm hoping Board and Dice picks up one of them. I would like to cover it because I've actually read the rule book. Uh, you know, stem to stern. I know what this game is, and it sounds really, really cool from a gameplay perspective. It is a uh, worker placement game where you're, you you place your workers on a daytime slot, and what that means is if you are adjacent to other workers, you activate their workers as well, but they get to do different things than you. This is a really cool idea. I saw it um, most recently in The Great Wall, and it's here as well. You know, because Puerto Rico and then followed up by Race for the Galaxy, very firmly established this idea that we've seen in so many games over the year where, oh, I will play a game, and then everybody... to do an action, and everybody else gets to do a weaker version of that action. And that's great. That's awesome. I love it. I'm very interested in games that have me, oh, I will do this action, and it will allow other people to do something completely different. I think that's very, very cool. And um, and then after you place your worker uh, at the end of your turn and uh, people get to do stuff depending on if they're, you know, where they are relative to you, then your worker slides down into a nighttime slot and you get to do different stuff. It seems really cool. I really like the gameplay. I really wanted to play it, except for the fact that, oh my gosh, is it creepy. It is, as you said, Nightmare Cathedral is definitely not the kind of thematic game you see normally from board and dice. And I was looking at the miniatures, I was looking at the game art, and I just knew Jen would not be able to enjoy that game because it is nightmare fuel. It would definitely get in her brain. She would, ha- she would have a hard time sleeping if she invested herself in it. So it's just not for us. Uh, but if you don't mind, really creepy, spooky, like, you know... Um, what 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 what's the the upside down from that Netflix show with the kids, which I can't think of anymore. But you know, just creepy, spooky, otherworldly horrors. Um, but then you want a really cool, fresh, interesting take on worker placement. You might want to check out Nightmare Cathedral. And fingers crossed, Board and Dice, um, you know, gets Kim to cover it or something like that because they really should. Because I would love to see more people see it. Um, anyway, so that's that's where I am on that one, Kirk. Marty wonders or states, that there's a minority of people in the in the gaming community that say app-driven or integrated games are really just video games with some real-world components. They're not real board games. What would I say to those people as a rebuttal? I would say you're wrong. That is patently untrue, and I'm sorry that you can't enjoy this. Because it's fresh, it's fun, it's exciting, it opens up new avenues for gameplay that the industry could not do any other way. Do we really want to go back to the 70s and play Mastermind, where one person just has to sit there and be the clue giver? Don't we want everybody to get to play? Why not have the apps do the boring stuff, the crappy stuff, the fiddly stuff, so that we can just project ourselves into these worlds? Why wouldn't somebody want that? And that's fine. I do not, it is not for me to say that you should enjoy this. If you don't enjoy this, you're you're wrong as a board gamer. That's not where I'm at. In the same way, it would be, to, if, if I were to do that, it would be totally legit for those people to turn back around and say, well, why don't you enjoy Memoir 44? Why don't you enjoy Arkham Horror? Or Elder's Horror? Or, or you know, all these different types of games that I just fundamentally don't enjoy because that's just the type of person I am. Uh, you know, I, 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 that's the way my brain is wired. My brain wants certain things. Wants certain neural pathways to be activated to release all that sweet, sweet dopamine. 
And if the games don't do it, I don't want to spend my time on it. So you know what? If the existence of an app in the game means you don't get your dopamine hit for um, getting to play the game and getting a real sense of accomplishment, hey, no problem. I would rather you you say, oh, it's not for me, because that's totally legit. To make more blanket gatekeeping, you know, um, arrogant statements like, well, you're not really playing a board game. That's not cool. But you know what? If you're somebody who's saying that, you're probably not somebody I want to play a board game with anyway. That sounds pretty close-minded and pretty quick to dismiss the thoughts and feelings of others. I do not dismiss yours. It totally makes perfect sense. If you don't enjoy this, there's lots of things I don't enjoy either. Um, so we'll go our separate ways. That's what I would say, Marty. I think that's the best way forward. And, uh, and I can't wait for whatever the industry comes up with next for app integration in games because it's awesome. All righty. Again, I'm a very excitable and positive, upbeat person. <laughs> okay. All right. Matilda has three game questions for me. What are my top three games with a Moncala mechanism? How well do I think has the rule for two players in Fresco aged? Would I want the author to change this rule? And finally, if I were to introduce a Euro game player to storytelling games, what three games would I choose? Good questions. Let's go back to the browser, because I got to look at lists of stuff, because my brain doesn't just pull up games just like that really quick. So I need to do an advanced search. All right, we click first, and then we click advanced search. And then we go down to mechanic which I'm totally going to let go. Should be mechanism. That's fine. Somewhere in this list will be the word Moncala. Ba-ba-ba-ba-ba. He's a really big ape. Bum, bum. Anybody know what that's from? That would be far out if anybody gets that reference. Look at that big ape. He's a really big ape. Bum, bum. All righty. Um, right, so Moncala games. Submit. Show me the Moncala. And then after you're done with that, sort by board game rank. All righty. Top three Moncala games. How fortunate that the ones I have and have kept are marked here so I can see them. Oh my gosh. There are three. There are three. They are um, from a countdown form at the bottom of my list. Crusade, Crusaders, I will be done. Number two, Gold West. Well, is that really Moncala? I mean, that's more like Macau. Why does Gold West say it's a Moncala, but Macau does not? I think that's wrong. But anyway, the number one, Trajan, which really is no surprise. Now, here's a mistake. Free Radicals should be here. Free Radicals is a Moncala game. And again, I don't think... uh, Is Gold West... It kind of is. It kind of is. Okay, we'll leave it. I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Yeah, it, but uh, without the circular, with with only travel... It's it's a one-dimensional Moncala game. Yeah, we'll go with that. Okay. So, um, I think I'd rank Free Radicals over Gold West. I definitely over Crusaders. So, anyway, so there's three that I have right now. Uh, Free Radicals also goes on the list. And um, I just recently put up my Kickstarter preview for Pilgrim. And Pilgrim would, Pilgrim, I think, would take my number two spot. So, it'd probably be, but again, I've only played a prototype. So, grain of salt time in a big, big way. But I think my final list would be in the number one spot, Trajan, in the number two spot, Pilgrim, and probably in the number three spot, Free Radical. Although that's kind of cheating, so it could be Gold West as well. So, that's it for top three games with Moncalas. Um, I mean, man, there's so many great ones out there. Finca and... Um, I'm, yeah. 
Let's see. Let's actually look a little bit more. I, I, that was really easy for me to dismiss. Oh, yeah, there's Finca right there. What else am I... Oh, my gosh. Theseus Dark Orbit. Oh! Oh, that's such a great game. God damn, that's a great game. I, I no longer have it in my collection because it's it's uh, it's it's basically aliens, a, bo- a board game based on James Cameron's Aliens, where there's Marines and scientists and aliens all on a space station, and the space station is literally around Moncala, and um, we move our troops around or our, our, our units around uh, using Moncala mechanisms, and it's really great. But one. It was very... Jen didn't like it because of all the aliens imagery and whatnot. And two, we were both... We're, we spent a lot of time trying to kill each other in that game. But if you like Moncala's and you love aliens, then Theseus, the Dark Orbit, is by far the greatest Moncala game in the history of humanity. Oh my gosh, what a crazy far-out game. Fistful of Meeples is very, very good. Nice uh, on the lighter end. I really like that one. What else? Planes? Oh man, that was good. That was a nice one too. Uh, you know, trying to get passengers... I mean, it was so perfectly thematically, just trying to get passengers to the right departure gates in an airport so they can get on planes. Bethel Woods? Bethel Woods is a cooperative Moncala. That's worth looking at. That was very, very cool. Uh, Imagineers, I only played the prototype. I don't remember it. Oh, and Humboldt's Great Voyage. That was a nice one, too. Much more Euro-y than most of these games. I liked it. Fruit picking is fantastic. If I were looking for a really, really lightweight gateway Moncala game, Fruit Picking, number one. Gosh, that's such a good game. Again, if you're looking for a a, a really, really lightweight Moncala. Of course, there's Moncala itself. Oh, and um, Five Tribes, of course, is is a legit one. Um, Yeah, and then, okay, yeah. This is weird. There are very few Moncala games. Even though the Moncala mechanism has been with us for literally millennia, there are only a handful of games that have adopted it, even though it's one of the greatest board game mechanisms of all time. Why is that? I do not know. They're really... If I were to ever make a board game, a modern design of board game, you better believe I would start with, okay, what can I do new with the Moncala? Just because there's such fertile ground there. I mean, literally, Moncalas are taking seeds and planting them. Of course they're fertile ground. So anyway, but there, there's three that I would probably choose and a bunch more runners-up. Okay. Your next question was, oh, um, the uh, Fresco two-player rule. Okay, how well has it aged? Would I change it? Um, first of all, no. I, we played Fresco because of a new expansion last year, if I recall correctly. So it's still fairly fresh in my mind. And we still love it every much as, bit, as much as we did. Basically, um, Fresco, to play it as a two-player game, introduces a third player named Leonardo, and play, the two players take turns. On my turn, I'm going to... you know, Every round, there's three players active, and in round one, I control myself and Leonardo. In round two, you control yourself and Leonardo. So we kind of share custody. And when I'm control, I mean, and the game is about, you know, painting the equivalent of the Sistine Chapel, going to the market, getting uh, goods, getting up, um, you know, you're pursuing side jobs, all kinds of stuff. And there's the reason that the third player there is because the developers just decided, hey, let's do this rather than tighten up the board, rather than have fewer things. Or, you know, these days, if Fresco came out these days, I wouldn't be at all surprised if it would not have Leonardo, and instead it would have a deck of cards. And after we, you and I, in a two-player game, have have made our choices about how we want to program our day, because this is a simultaneous worker placement game where everybody chooses what they're going to do and then we reveal at the same time. Um, I could imagine say, oh, I choose mine, you choose yours, and now let's draw a card and see what Leonardo does. And that would work totally fine. And I would probably still love Fresco to bits. But honestly, what they do is better. 
because um, a, a system like what I just described, draw a card, Leonardo, oh, I'm going to take the third thing or, or in the market, or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try and do this particular tile when I'm painting the ceiling or whatever, that would introduce variant luck that would inevitably benefit one player over another. And uh, it's fine. It would still be okay. But you know, from time to time, it's like, oh, what do you know? Leonardo just happened to go to the perfect place. That's right where you wanted Leonardo to be, isn't it? And every time, uh, um, but the rest of the game, Leonardo's always just screwing me. And because he's random and we cannot anticipate where he's going to go, that's why what they did is superior. Because when it's going to be my turn to control Leonardo, you probably know what I want Leonardo to do. And, um, and basically, each round starts with a bidding where we're, we, we're, everybody's deciding again um, uh, and revealing is it simultaneous or do we take turns? But everybody at the beginning of the round decides how early are they going to get out of bed because it makes them grumpy. It means they can do fewer actions, but they can get to things sooner. And it means you, um, you know, and, and so if, if I'm doing that, if I'm controlling Leonardo and you're afraid that I'm going to deploy Leonardo in such a way that it would take what you want. You just get up earlier and make sure you get up earlier than me or Leonardo. The system works fantastically. It is a little aggressive. I'll admit, I don't particularly like that. I guess if I were to change it, I wouldn't do what people are doing now. I would still, I would want it to be an automated system. We always know Leonardo is going to get up as early as possible. So if you want to ensure that, you got to get up earlier. Otherwise, Leonardo will always get up as early as possible. Leonardo will always take the market furthest to the right. Right? Leonardo will always do the for hire job that's furthest to the right so that I can plan what Leonardo is going to do. And um the, but the big thing is painting the Sistine Ch- or the the you know the the ceiling of the of the the church that we're working on how I so that's why that requires real decision making. And I don't think you could just instantly I mean what you could do no you could do it. You could literally say um, every one of those tiles has a number numbered 1 to 50. And Leonardo will just always do the one that has the highest number. So I can think, okay, I know what Leonardo's going to do. I know he's going to want that one or that one. So I need to get there. No, that's fine. I'm fine with the third one. Okay, I know Leonardo is going to move over there because he wants to do that tile. But if Jen does that tile, then instead he'll move over there because he'll do that tile. Okay, I need to be prepared. Am I willing to sleep in late because I could deal with either of those? You know what? That would work. And that would keep all the interesting elements of Leonardo. It would not introduce random, unpredictable elements that would kind of unfairly benefit one player or the other. And it would get rid of the cutthroat nature, where, yeah, when I'm controlling Leonardo, you better believe I, I try to anticipate what you need, and I ensure Leonardo prevents you from getting that. That's the way it works. So I started out thinking one thing, but I talked myself out of it. Yes, there is a better way to do Leonardo. I think it could be improved, and uh, maybe it will be someday. But I, I'm still perfectly happy with the way it is, because it's fantastic. Wow, what an interesting decision uh, or question, Matilda. You really, uh, I did not expect that to go that way. Number three, if I were to introduce Euro game players to storytelling games, Euro gamers to storytelling games, which three games would I choose? All right, so I'm trying to convince people. I assume you're talking about Euro game players who just want dry, dusty economic simulations. They want Concordia. They don't care about story. And so this is something that is supposed to uh, get them engaged. Uh, probably Fister games. Um, I would want to um, say, hey, look, you know, here's the latest Fister game. Let's you, know, I, you can ignore, it, but let's just go on and play through story. It's the same game; nothing changes. It just means we do these extra little bits of setup, and uh, you know, and it doesn't really push itself. It doesn't push an agenda. But if it turns out they really love the game, the next time we play, what the heck? Let's just play chapter two. Why not? 
Because, hey, remember that character in Chapter 1? It's now a playable card that goes into the deck. That's really cool, right? Let's just... I would probably want to use something like that as a gateway. And so in that regard, you could pick any of them. Um... Blackout of Hong Kong, uh, Maracaibo. Uh, if you want a lighter weight game, Oh My Goods, or Tybor the Builder. What other ones has he done in? Oh, he did it, of course, in um, the Oh My Goods spinoff big box game that I can't think of the name of now. Oh, that's going to drive me nuts. Uh, uh, something at Newport, I want to say. Oh, I'm going to look that up now. All righty. Uh, oh My Goods. I'm searching for that on Board Game Geek. Uh, originally called Royal Goods, which is a much better title. And do you say who it was? No, you don't. All right, but I can just search for Alexander Fister now, and then you will tell me that the game that I'm thinking of is Expedition Newdale, Newdale. I would probably games like that because there's still, I mean, there there there's still 98. percent There's a, there's like two or three percent story, and you can completely ignore it if you want. But over multiple games with these people, I would like to. You know, what's the thing about, oh, the you, know, you, 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 you throw the frog into the boiling water or hops out, but if you uh, just slowly turn the temperature up, they'll cook themselves? That's what I want to do with narrative in games. Turns out that's not true. Uh, the frog will jump out of the uh, pot of... I don't know how they know that. I hope somebody didn't test it. But anyway, though, that's I, that would be my approach, because I do think that's great. And it's not just Alexander Fisher who's doing it, but he's at the forefront of it. But any game that does that in a euro way would probably be my approach, I think. Where it's still just 90%. It's, it's, it's not about narrative. You can ignore this narrative if you want. It's just there in the background. And hopefully it grows on people. Because I assume that's what you're talking about. How to get people engaged in that. Because there are plenty of folks who just dismiss it out of hand. I don't want any of that polluting the purity of my game. Anyway, um, Tristan completely loves my show. Uh, thinks I do amazing run-throughs, and the recent additions to the channels are amazing. Thank you, Tristan. I think you and I would get along, because you seem to be um, complimentarily a positive and upbeat person. That's what I like in my life. But, Tristan... uh Uh-oh, Tristan. What are you going to break my heart with now? Uh, Tristan points out that I seem to be convinced the only way of progressing with my channel is through Twitch. And the situation that it deals uh, with you with, i.e. having to deal with the crowd, I personally think that takes away what you're personally good at. What are your thoughts on uh, having to do live streams, etc. By this point, it isn't so new to you, maybe? That is interesting. Um, The reason I am doing more live stuff is because the growth of my channel has stagnated. I am still doing very well. I'm I'm still getting as many views. I'm still pretty much making as much ad revenue as I ever did. But um, my new subscribers have slowed down significantly. Now, a reason for that, a big reason for that, is because of the shirts that I wear from time to time. And a lot of people just don't want to see it. And that's fine. I've decided I'm willing to forego that. But I want the growth of my show to continue. um, Because the bigger it gets, the more people I can bring in to become contributors to the channel. I would love... I mean, I I, I look with green-eyed envy at Tom Vassell that he is roughly three times more popular than me in terms of views, in terms of, uh, uh, um, you know, uh, ad revenue... And in terms of how many people he has working for him. I I don't want to do this because I I want to be a captain of industry. I just want to help. I mean, the day that I found out that Shay, because of the money he's making doing videos on my channel, meant he did not have to go back to his old bartending job. That he was able to try to make between his income of his channel, which is growing in popularity thanks to his appearances on mine, and uh, the money he makes off of doing it on my channel, allowed him to do this full-time. That makes me so happy. I want to do that for other people. 
Um, and to do that, I need to continue to grow. And the thing is, anybody will tell you diversification is important if you want to grow. There is a, a vibrant and active board game community on Twitch. And I am here on Twitch to get them interested in the Rotto Runs Through brand. Because if that translates to more people um, you know, subscribing on Twitch and then ultimately on YouTube and watching the videos, that translates into more eyeballs. That translates into more publishers um, who are ready to you know, uh, you know, send review copies of games that I can send to other people, and then I can pay them. And that's, that's what I'm trying to do. Now, as for does this work to my strengths, uh, you'd have to go into that a little bit more, uh, Tristan. I, my only real strength is I'm a motor mouth. I, let's see, in high school, I was forced, I was forced into a life of public performance because the principal of my um, school forced me to take on the lead role in a play when I was in my junior year. And it was an outgoing, bombastic character I had to play, and uh, called the bag. Uh, the, the the titular character of the Vagabond was the name of the play, and I played the Vagabond. And it's two hours of me on um, on stage dancing and singing and being the life of the party. And overnight, everybody saw that play at my high school, and they oh, that quiet, withdrawn kid who's always listening to Beatles with his hoodie up. And this was in the 80s. Um, you, know, you know, that was not quite as common a thing, but that's who I was. Suddenly, everyone, oh, that's the, that's the guy. And so suddenly, I felt obligated to fill that role. And I kept doing it. And then when I went to college, uh, I got a job uh, you know, doing phone reps. And I did lots of customer service for years. Ultimately, I became a lead designer, a creative director in the video game industry, which meant I was just a cheerleader. My skills are... What I'm doing right now, being able to talk spontaneously in an engaging and enthusiastic way that gets people moving in a certain direction. I mean, that's why I was successful in the video game industry for as long as I was. So I think I'm kind of made for live streaming when it boils right down to it. It's a lot of stress. It's a lot more work. But um, I think I'm doing okay. I, I, I'm, if you want to write back in the future, remember, folks, questions to questions at raw.com. I, I, I'd, I'd definitely be interested to hear more back and forth on this. I'd interested in ways to improve. Anyway, moving on to Shaco. Shaco is also a big fan of the show and wants to thank uh, me and I'm sure everybody else for all the amazing content we create. Shaco uh, is trying to find where I ranked Beyond the Sun and couldn't find it at rank.rado.com or gone.rado.com. Shaco uh, saw that I disliked the area control element. I talked about that when I did the video. But besides that, I, I like to look at it. Yeah, I really thought it was very cool. Could it be I forgot to rank it? I'm sure that is what it is. Let's um, Let's go... All right, was it uh, Beyond the Sun, right? Beyond the Sun. And let's take a looky-loo in the browser, too. And uh, yeah, look at that. I do not own it. Okay, then, yeah, this is human error. I mean, I play over 200 games a, a year. Uh, you know, in, in the past decade, I have played probably over 2,000 games. And uh, yeah, sometimes they just slip between the cracks. I'm going to fix that right now. Thank you, Shaco. Let me go on ahead and rank it. Or not rank it, uh, but officially add it like it should have been. Add to... Right, it is a previously owned game. Um, love the... What do you call it? Engine building. No, tech tree. Tech tree of this game. Best of class. Wish that the area control was something added via an expansion because the game didn't need it, IMO, 
And uh, it's a real turnoff for Care Bears like us. Smiley face. Boom. There you go. Now, as for ranking, here's the deal. Anything at gone.rado.com, I do not rank. Because the ranking system on BoardGameGeek is fundamentally broken. And it breaks my heart because I would totally love to rank it. So instead, what do I do? I just put explanations for why I didn't keep things. Why did I not keep Terraforming Mars? Why did I not keep Seven Wonders Duel? Why did I not keep Arkham Horror the card game? Why did I not keep Lahav? Etc. Etc. I actually take the time to write it up so anybody can go to gone.rado.com. And I'm sorry, Shaco, I just missed it. But there it is. Fixed now. Thanks for pointing it out. I do make goofs from time to time. Phew. Okay, that's it, folks. Like I said right up front, there weren't that many questions uh, this month at questionsatrado.com. But if you want to hang on, uh, I might have a few more game-related stuff up my sleeve. Let's see if the live audience I'm streaming to right now has any. Okay, folks, I think there are a few. Let's see what Luck Dragon 1982 wondered. Um... Let's see. If in any question, if if any question is game, I'm curious. Oh, okay, yeah. I, I don't know why I had a hard time reading that sentence. All right. So Luck Dragon said, "Hey, if any question is is legit, how do you sell or get rid of games that leave your collection?" I have gone through a few iterations of this over the years because, yeah, a lot of games leave my collection every year. Hundreds of games come through that door, and after we're done playing it and filming it, they go right back out the door. And um, these days, what I do is I donate them to the Dice Tower West uh, Convention Library because uh, Tim Medivere, a great guy, I really uh, like him a lot. Maybe consider him a friend, even? I, you know, when I say that, that means something. Uh, he and I have worked out a way that I can basically get a big collection of you know hundreds of these things, put them in a gigantic FedEx freight box, which is like a disposable gigantic box it has with its own built-in pallet, and then I can just mail them down there and, and he'll uh, take care of the rest. That's what I'm doing these days. Uh, before that, before the convention started, there was a guy um, who, uh, who traveled around from convention to convention all throughout the Pacific Northwest, or the West Coast, basically, and he uh, basically would sell used games, and um, he would come by a couple times a year and pick up a bunch, and he would sell them on commission for me. And I thought that was pretty cool. And that's what I did when we first got back to the states. But then, you know, COVID happened, and and he couldn't make a, a he, he couldn't make a living out of that anymore. And so that's when Tim said, "Well, hey, I've got a convention. I would like to have tens of thousands of games in my library, and you team to play games that are really cool and hot. How about you send them down to me?" And so that's what I've been doing. Before that, when we were in Malta, what we would do is I would get a year's worth of games. And I would pack them all up in a ton of boxes, and Jen and I, and I would uh, trade them all away or sell them in auctions at Essen Spiel. And then Jen and I would have a miserable time uh, paying extra to get them on the planes and then tra- uh, traipsing them all the way from Malta to Germany and, uh, you know, and, and, and get rid of them there. That's what I used to do every year. It was, I, mean, I, I actually chronicled it one year, and you can actually see these gigantic boxes that were hauling around to train stations and all that. It's, it's a nightmare, but that's what I used to do back when we were in Malta because Essen was a good just like one-stop shop to uh, you know, get rid of them all. Uh, also, when I lived in Malta, a lot of them went to Paulo, uh, who is the goof checker on my videos, because he was in Portugal and shipping wasn't too terribly bad. He's like, oh, I want that, 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 that. So, but these days, it's all going to Dice Tower West. Um, you know, I actually, I carried a few down when Jen and I flew, and um, I'm already starting to accrue more that will end up in the convention library for next year. Okay. Boom. Let's see here. 
Party on, dudes! Wonders what... I tried to do that as uh, Abraham Lincoln from Bill and Ted. Uh, what are some of my favorite solo games? Well, by far, uh, the easy answer for that, sadly, is Marvel Champions. Because I'd much rather play it with Jen. And Jen has enjoyed it upon occasion. But the more recent times I've played, she, she really hasn't connected with her. And I think that's in large part because the game is getting more complex and more full of keywords. And it's, it's just kind of more and more and more with new stuff kind of skewing towards advanced players, hardcore, elite players. And it's kind of getting away from, you know, the original box. I mean, anybody could. I mean, I could teach that game to anybody. It just it wasn't so complex. And Jen has shown less and less interest. So there's that. There's also, um, oh, what, what else? 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 Uh, uh, Space Hulk Death Angel. Um, another game I would love to play with Jen because it's got it's great cooperative. I have played it, but Jen just isn't interested because of the hardcore aliens vibe, which she does not like. Tell you what, let's uh, look a little bit more. Let's all go to the browser and um, let's do an advanced search. Right? Right. Okay, we need to do advanced search. And we're going to search for my... And this is something you can do at home, folks. Teaching you how to fish. Uh, search for things owned by Rotto. Don't tell me about expansions. And tell me player count. Where is the player count? It is right here. One player games. Exact. And submit. This will tell you everything in my collection that supports one player gaming. Right? So, Gloomhaven, I would not want to play that solo. Agricola, I've never tried it. It'd probably be fine. Let's see here. I re- Wingspan, I think, is great. Honestly, any any game that has a solo mode design by Automa Factory and Morton Monrad Peterson going to be uh, top of class. Wingspan is a great solo game. Um, let's see here. Never tried Twa Tolo. That would really be interesting. The Tapestry solo game is fantastic. Again, uh, that's uh, uh, Automa Factory. Uh, this War of Mine, I have played a lot of it. I played many, many hours of it solo, and that was a phenomenal experience. In some ways, maybe it's the best because that's such an emotional roller coaster, and you can really invest yourself more if you're not worried about the social aspect of playing with somebody else. Uh, Maracaibo is a great solo game. I really enjoyed that a lot. Um, let's see here. Escape Curse of the Temple is oh, that's a terrible. I, I actually tried that once, and it was it was not good. The Ark Nova solo mode is very good. Very, very good. I like it a lot. Um, let's see. Isle of Cats is also good. Shadowrun Crossfire, no. Because it's not really solo. You have to play two-handed. Tiny Towns is great. Oh, I love Tiny Towns as a solo experience. And Terraforming Mars Ares Expedition. Especially with the new expansion. That is really good stuff. Uh, let's see. And I'm just, I'm just scrolling, looking at other things that really jump out at that I've tried, and I've really, really... I mean, I, Red Rising, I think, is a great... If you want to play Fantasy Realm solo, check out Red Rising. Calico is great, too. Uh, I would like to try Project Elite as a solo game. I suspect it would work fantastically, but I've never tried it. I've only played it with Jen. Sprawlopolis, I think, is best as a solo game, instead of two-player. Uh, Aquatica, I would like to try. Polyphonies, I would like to try. Boone Lake is great. It's it's really nice. Cloud Age is really good too, both from Alexander Pfister. Uh, yeah, there's a few. I mean, I could keep going. Um, but yeah, I mean, there, there's a few. Uh, so uh, there's a lot. Now, I don't play them solo because 
I don't have time. Um, you know, on the other side of the wall that I'm pointing at, there are at any given time usually about 50 to 100 games that have been sent to me by publishers that are high on my list of things I got to do because I feel that oh they 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 spent the time and effort to send to me. I should provide it some level of coverage. So I don't have time to go and just play games for fun for solo. But there are a few. Hopefully, maybe uh, some you hadn't considered that you might like. Many of those when I film them. And this is something I'm doing a lot more these days. These days, if the game has a good solo mode that I believe demonstrates what it feels like to play multiplayer, I would prefer to do my run-through solo because it is literally more fun for me. And it serves double duty. Solo gamers get to see how does the solo mode work, and I don't believe I'm compromising uh, And because multiplayer gamers will still get a feel for the game. Now, if it's a solo mode that really changes the feel of the game, then I won't play it solo because it, more than anything else, I really do want to show what the multiplayer experience is. So but that's something I do a lot these days. That's why I knew a lot of those games. If you'd asked me that question five years ago, I would have had one. Space Hulk, Death Angel, and that would be it. Okie dokie. Let's see. <clears throat> okay, here we go. Uh, Dark Knight 1183 asks, What suggestions do I have for game storage? Uh, shelf set, long-term storage. Well, I am surrounded by IKEA... What are they called? The Calyx shelves? I think they're great. Uh, I don't know if you can see them if you happen to be watching this rather than listening to it. When I built these, I did put some areas of them together without the vertical supporting line so that I could put long skinny boxes like Gloomhaven or Ark Nova in because those things don't tend to fit in the little tiny squares. Uh, And uh, yeah, I'm really happy with these, especially because once I figured out that I could store an additional 30% of games, because what I do is I put put all the games... I fill up these cubbies as full as I can, and I shove them all back as far as I can, and then I put another game in front of them that's um, you know facing out, so you get a really nice-looking game, and I just like the look of it. But then all I got to do is pull that game down, and I got you know dozens of games behind there. So it's maximum uh, efficient space usage. It feels like a really good polyomino game when you just slip that L in perfectly, and it all fits wonderfully. So it's kind of gamey. So yeah, I just I really like these shelves. Um, and uh, before these, we had different ones from... Uh, I can't remember the name of the line we had before uh, that we'd gotten uh, from... I, or not from IMAX, from Ikea in uh, Europe. Oh, the Billy. The Billy boards were nice, too. They did have a tendency to warp a little bit. Otherwise, I really like them quite a bit as well. But, um, yeah, I... M- I'm really not too fussed. Uh, for my first five or six years, I just had these really, really cheap, crappy um, things that we got from some used store because I wasn't too precious about it. Um, and honestly, you know, if, if it's not a very imposing... I mean, if, if you do something like what I'm doing here where the bar- board games face out, for the longest time, I liked having them where it's just the sides face out, so it's kind of like books. You know, it, it, it kind of had a nice feel like, oh, I've got an expansive library. Look how sophisticated I am as I sit there in my smoking jacket and smoke my pipe, and I'm surrounded by all my great works of not literature but board games. It's kind of like... I used to like that until I started facing them out like this, and this looks so nice! It's just pleasant. It makes me feel good to look at them um, and to see all this cover art as it was intended to be seen. So that's kind of how I go. Um, oh, and then for actually the games themselves, I well, I kind of can't stand really elaborate inserts that and suddenly don't work when you put the games up sideways. So I just like games where, oh, I just put all the pieces into a bunch of plastic bags so I don't have to worry about everything getting mixed up inside the box. That's my approach for all of that business. Okay. Moving on, we've got King Engine One, who wonders, 
When did I get rid of Forbidden Island? It used to be my lowest ranked game for the longest time. And at one point in the last few months, it came off the list. Uh, since you prefer Forbidden Desert, I was surprised it lasted this long. That is true. That is true. It went um, down to the Dice Tower West Library in the, the last one I did. Uh, here's the actual story. Um, you know... Uh, Pandemic, I've talked about this many times in the past, is the thing that really converted me in Gen. It was our gateway game. And one of the things we tried, because I was trying to figure out, well, what games do I like besides this game? I tried Forbidden Island. Or like, we tried really hard to like it, and we just did not like it at all. Not that it was a bad game, but it was just it's a game played for families and kids. And it was just too simple. Even for us, when we were brand new, and we were still learning the ropes, we thought it was too simple. And so I'd gotten rid of it. You know, we played it like a few times. Tried to uh, this was back when I, if I didn't like a game, I would try to come up with my own variants to fix it, and I couldn't. So we all got rid of it. Cut to many, many years later. What now? Almost four years ago, when we moved back to the states and we moved in with my mom, or I'm sorry, we got a house and my mom moved in with us. She owned a copy of Forbidden Island because she would play it with my niece uh, occasionally, and I hear, oh, that's so sweet. And so she brought it. I'm like, oh, I've got Forbidden Island again. I don't know. Maybe someday the niece will come down here and visit us, and I should have it at the ready. The niece is now 15 or 16 years old. I think Forbidden Island is a little bit too lightweight for her now anyway. Um, And so I finally realized, why am I keeping this? Mom, do you care? No, that's fine. Um, And so it went in the most recent trip. So if you go to Dice Tower West Library and and you have a hankering for some Forbidden Island, and you go check it out, that was my mom's copy that she used to play with love with with uh, with my niece, Savannah. Um, so uh, yeah, that's what happened there, and so uh, you know it was kind of a long and tumultuous ride. Okay, let's see here. Okay, Fem Sensei asks, "What responsibility do I feel to sell the games I cover to win backers uh, for publishers who hire me to do these run-throughs?" That is an excellent question. I feel. That my responsibility for every game I cover, whether it was a paid preview or it was just a, uh, you know, a, a review of a retail game that nobody paid me for, what I always want to do and I feel a very strong responsibility for is to let the game speak for itself. I've, um, Fem Sensei, I know you're a long-term fan. I know you've heard me say this a million times. Don't watch the final thoughts. Watch the run-through and decide for yourself if it looks like fun. Because, and it makes me so happy that in the vast majority of the time, only about a third of my audience, or the third of the ultimate viewers of a given video I cover, will actually watch the final thoughts. The overwhelming majority skip that, and they watch the run-through for itself. Because... Why trust my opinion? I have very specific tastes. Arguably, very narrow tastes. And um, I would not want somebody to uh, to convince themselves that just because I like a game with all my weird peccadillos, that it'll work well for them. That's why I work so hard letting the game speak for itself. Because games just sit there, quiet and inert and motionless. And they do not sell themselves very well. Yes, they maybe have pretty art or, or really elaborate components, so that gets the attention. I mean, that's, but I mean, heck, if that's all I want to do, I should just do unboxings all the time and then give an opinion. Um, I spend all my time and effort in any game, no matter what it is. If I decide I'm going to film it, I do my absolute best to, in as short a time frame as possible, demonstrate as many unique elements of that game uh, you know, so I'm I'm always trying to play 
with a strategically sound game, but often I will make moves, not because it's the best move for me to make right now, but because it allows me to introduce you to another feature that I haven't talked about yet. And it's an okay move. And I'm like, it's an okay move. It'll, it'll do. I really need to show how... I haven't even drawn a card from this other deck yet. I need to show that before time is up. Um, and so that's my number one concern. Honestly, when I started doing paid uh, previews for Kickstarter, my intention was to say, oh, I'm just not going to do Final Thoughts. I'm just not going to do it. Uh, because there were a few times, like two or three games in the seven or so years that I filmed thousands of games before I ever started doing paid previews, there was like, in all that time, maybe only two times I ever got paid. And I didn't get paid, but my wife, Jen, had a deal with the publisher for a game on Kickstarter where she was making glass. And so every time I sold a unit, that meant Jen made some money. I'm like, okay, I'm just going to... I'm not going to give a final opinion because I have a stake in the game here. Because... You know, the, the the success of the game materially, I mean, in a, in a tiny way, benefited me. Like, um, uh, Monster Island was one of those, if I recall correctly. Uh, I can't remember which ones they were. But anyway, so that's happened a couple of times. But then when I realized, oh, um, my mom's moving in with us. We live in America. Our cost of living is literally going to triple. I can't afford to not make money off of Rotto Runs Through anymore. And so I started doing paid previews. I was going to stop, and my audience shouted. It was like, um, you know, uh, the nine out of ten responded, said, "No, please keep doing the final thoughts. We trust you. We do not think you are corrupt, and all the rest of it." So I kept doing it, and I don't think anything has changed about my final thoughts. You compare a final thoughts I do now to one I did six years ago; it's still me trying to list all the things I think are really cool and interesting and unique about the game, and then spending time talking about the things I didn't like. And I still do that to this day. It hasn't changed. So, um, uh, that's my responsibility. To try and demonstrate, and where I can't demonstrate, discuss what makes a game interesting so that you can decide for yourself. If you ever meet me in real life and you say, oh, I uh, got this game because my first question, oh, please tell me you liked it. Because nothing terrifies me more than um, the occasional, yeah, you're crazy. I, 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 I ended up spending 100 bucks on it and I hated it. Because I don't want that to happen. Um, but... I my for, responsibility first and foremost is to the game itself. I want that game to come alive. I want the game to sell itself. I'm not selling the game. I'm just giving the game a voice so that you can see everything the game does so you can decide if it feels right for you and yours. And just ignore my final thoughts because they're immaterial because I'm not the same person as you. I have different brain chemistry than you. How could that possibly matter? What matters is the game itself. So that's why I do run-throughs. And uh, that, that's kind of how I look at it. Um... Is there anything else to say on that? Because obviously there's a lot of people who have strong feelings on this. Because I every I don't go, a week doesn't go by that people don't somewhere on Board Game Geek or on my channel or on Reddit or someplace, uh, you know, call me a shill, say I'm corrupt, say I'm bought off, or I'm in the pocket of big board game or whatever it might be. And you know, it used to bother me a lot. Now I just let it roll. I, most of the time I let it roll off my back. Sometimes it still gets to me because I don't like being told I'm a bad person. I don't think I'm a bad person. I think I'm an honest, upright person. But these people just assume the worst of me because that's what the internet makes people do. It makes everybody assume the worst of everybody else. And I, and me saying that means I'm assuming the worst of the people who are accusing me of these things. So I'm akin uh, to it. I mean, that's why more than anything else, my number responsibility is be a beacon of positivity. There's enough freaking negativity on the internet. We don't need any more of it. 
if you listen later on to uh, to the personal Q and A portion of this podcast, uh, where I talk a lot about my feelings about the future of humanity, it's nothing but positive. Somebody said, "Rado, can you please tell me what your vision of future humanity is?" Because I'm too depressed by what I see out my window every day. That's what I do. I'm always positive, upbeat, trying to move forward, and that's just me. Okay, Karthik Seti, uh, my favorite person in all of Deutschland. Maybe my second favorite person, because I kind of like Slima more. Anyway, though, uh, oi, and I just called her by the name of a town in Malta. Oh, dear. Karthik, don't say. Don't say. I'll be like, um, uh, uh, Karthik uh, wonders, am I going to be coming to Essensefield this year? No, probably still not. I honestly, man, I want to, and I'll be honest, I want to just to hang out with you, quite frankly, more than anything else. Uh, but, uh, you know, and, and play some games, but it's just too far. It's too long. It's too painful. Uh, we just got back from Dice Tower West. We had a great, you know, uh, Jen had a fantastic show, met a lot of people. It was really nothing but positivity and upbeatedness and some silly mishaps along the way and a few bad games, but mostly great games were played. But I'm just exhausted. And the thought of spending 10 plus hours in a plane, never mind how much it costs monetarily, it's just... I don't think it can happen until we eventually move back to Europe, which we will eventually do. But that won't happen as long as my mom needs me. Because that's... that's you, What are my responsibilities that we were talking about earlier? My number one responsibility in this world is taking care of my mom. And Essen and my mom don't fit. So that that's... It's a ways off. I am sorry, sir. It will not happen this year. Unless something really unexpected happens. I, I, okay, if... If the uh, organization that puts on Essen wants me to come out as a special guest and is willing to pay for airfare, yeah, that's it. It would have to be something like that. Because otherwise, I'm not going to pay all that money and spend all that time and all that energy. And oh my gosh, it's not just the time I'm there. The time before and after. Taking a week off from Rotto Runs Through is creates compounding levels of pain as I've got dates I've got to hit and things I've got to cover. And it just, every time uh, that I'm there, I'm like, oh, what am I not getting done? I didn't get enough done before I left. I'm going to have to make it up on the back end. So, you know, th- there's those kinds of issues too. It was easier when we were in Malta because, oh, it was just a couple days. We just flew up for like three or four days. We were there and back again, direct flights, all of that stuff. It's not that way anymore. Okay. And it looks like last question from the live stream. What... Are Jensen my favorite Uwe Rosenberg games for two-player crunchiness and depth? Well, uh, that's from Forest of Glass. Let's go back to the uh, the browser one last time. Okay, let's go back to the advanced search one last time. Okay, advanced search uh, is the greatest tool in all of board game geekdom. What do I want? Uh, yeah, stuff I've got. Um, I'm just gonna if, if I haven't kept it, I'm gonna ignore it. Uh, designer. Uwe Rosenberg. Uh, don't need that one-player restriction anymore. Uh, but I still don't care. No, no expansions. Gimme. Gimme, gimme, gimme. Let's look. Okay. Now, also, first of all, um, of course, I have actually done a top 10 Uwe Rosenberg uh, list a few years ago. It's probably a little out of date now because Hollertau pumped way up. Uh, Hollertau is like just below Agricola. It's one of my favorites of theirs now. But I'm wondering, when you say two-player, did you mean specifically two-player only? If you did, let's go back to that search. Because obviously, the thing is, with the exception of Bonanza, pretty much almost 100% of the time, Uwe Rosenberg does a great job, like Stefan Feld, of ensuring his games work at all player counts that the box says. But you want two-player specifically. So let's uh, top player count exact to Uwe Rosenberg. Let's look at that list. Because that's what you're really asking about. Oh, but then I... Uh, 
when I went back, it lost to Uwe Rosenberg, and it did all games that were two-player only. Alrighty, so designer, Uwe Rosenberg. Exact. Maximum player, two. You know what? Let's not even do owned by me. Let's just do everything he's done that fits that. Let's see what we got. Okay. Agricola All Creatures Big and Small is lovely. But I wouldn't recommend it unless you wanted to invest in all the expansions. And I expect all that stuff is very hard to get now. But even still, it's very lightweight. Patchwork is great. People love it. We didn't keep it. It just wasn't our favorite. Uh, there were so many other polyomino games we'd rather play. Uh, we'd rather play Arhial or Baron Park over Patchwork. Or Isle of Cats. Or... Uh, I can't think of the other ones. But, I mean, I really need to do a top 10 polyomino game list. Alrighty. Field of Arl. Eh... Obviously, that one should. Obviously, that is the premier. That is the very definition of what you're looking for. It's a two-player-only game that has all the big depth and crunchiness of an Agricola. And I don't remember why we didn't keep it. You'd have to go back and watch my run-through, my final thoughts as to why. Although, don't pay attention to them. Watch the run-through and decide for yourself. Le Havre and Port is brilliant. Oh my gosh, it's so good. But it has zero setup variability. And... Jen, I needed something. Something so that it wasn't set up the exact same every single time and it required us to be the randomizing seed that ensured the game went in different directions. So it kind of broke my heart for that reason. Hengist is terrible. I often say I won't talk about bad games. I'll just come out and say it. Hengist should never have been published. It is, it is an actively bad design. And it should have never seen the light of day. Caverna K versus Cave is very cool. I don't understand why it's not as successful as Seven Wonders Duel, quite frankly. Actually, I like it more than Seven Wonders Duel. But it is, it does have a little bit of a take that, so it wasn't really a good fit for us. A Robin of Loxley is really neat. I liked it a lot. Um, which one was it? Oh, yeah. Oh, that's the one where, where you're moving. Each of us has a knight that moves on a grid like a chess piece and is running around trying to draft tiles. It's really clever. I, I do recommend it. But again, watch my run through to see why. Uh, oh, this new one that's coming out this year. Orientenberger Canal. Or, 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 no, Oreninberger Canal. The Oreninberger Canal. Apparently, it's a two-player-only game, or probably one player as well. Wow. I already have it as a wish list. Uh, two. I'll leave it as a two. No, I'm going to bump it up to a one. I didn't realize it was a two-player-specific game. That's really interesting. Fairy Trails was very cool. I mean, this, this is... Uh, you know, if you just do the same search I did on BoardGameGeek, you will get a very easy-to-digest list. And I would say these are all good to great, with the exception of Hengist. I'm totally breaking my rule I said a while ago. I won't... Trash a game, but I would totally trash that game. Have not played Al Carbone. Oh, Bonanza the Duel is so good. Now let's look at me. I, of all of these, have kept Bonanza the Duel, which I rated an 8.5, and Agricola, All Creatures Big and Small, which I rated 7.8, but that's with all the expansions. I wouldn't keep it without the expansions. Those are the two we have kept. So I'd say those are my two favorites. Alrighty. And boom, that is it, folks. We are done with the game questions, except for the ones that have to do with Jen. So hang on, everybody, and we'll be right back. And Jen will be with us. Hey, everybody. Okay, this is weird. I know I said we're moving on to the personal question and answers. At least I think I said it. I'm not quite sure because <laughs> our lives have turned upside down uh, because of Jen's commitment to producing, gosh, must be well over 200 now, right? Yeah. Of those little Ukrainian fundraising uh, witwat that you're making. Yep. It's 
like, I don't know, it feels like a year's worth of orders that you're trying to do in like three weeks or something like that. <laughs> Just sort of feel like that. <laughs> um, um, so we recorded the personal Q&A almost a week ago, and then I streamed the game-related stuff, and I was going to put it together, but there was so much time in between that if you... Uh, game-related questions that I thought Jen could at least you know, take a look at showed up. So I figured I'd wait. And so we're just going to spend a couple minutes on these and then we'll get to the personal Q&A with everything, all kinds of out of order from our perspective. But from your perspective, I'm sure this will hopefully all make sense. So, hey, honey pie, how are you feeling? Uh, good. Sorry. Mid-yawn. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. I won't, I won't hold you long because I know you want to try and get another five done before uh, you pack it up for the night. Yeah, I think I'm going to get two done. All right. Another two. Well, that's five upside down. All right. I was close. Yeah, of course. Okay, Gerard says, It was so happy to meet you and uh, me at the Dice Tower West convention. Jen, Gerard's daughter, loves the earrings that uh, his girlfriend bought from you. So thank you for all the intense heat you put up with in doing so. (laughs) So the question is, did you uh, get any chance to play any games at the convention? um, Or did anything catch your eye? Mm. Now, the only thing Jen played as far as I know, was this. Wine the film. A very kind fan of the show gave me their copy of it, their second copy. They had another copy as well after I played with them and fell in love with it. And we did play this back in the hotel room. Um, And yeah, you remember it? This is the one where you, you had the cards and you had to wind the film and yep. you're trying yeah and so the numbers had to work right yeah exactly so you liked it i liked it i thought it was a really nice little game yeah. I, you started out not liking it we were like 20 minutes here like i hate this game ah! That's because all and then my, you went ahead and won my numbers didn't work right <laughs> and yet somehow you won go figure <laughs> i don't um, remember winning so oh uh, yeah this is all we played but i i mean I was surprised. You said, when I came home and I was setting up an argument, and you said, is that Ark Nova? Because apparently you'd heard of that. Yeah, loads of people at the show said that was their game of the show. Okay. Were there any other observations you picked up on uh, along those lines? Or is that it? Um, People were really excited to get the Rado um, Everdell cards. Oh, yes. That was really cool um, to see a nice response to that. there it is. These right here, yeah. Uh, do you know what? If you'd asked me last week, I could probably remember some of the game names, but I don't remember. I, I was chatting with people as the convention went on because I was curious about what kind of games they were enjoying. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a party game that was really popular. Probably four or five people mentioned that to me, but oh, really? I don't remember what it was, and well, we don't play party games now. No. But it did sound fun. It was... Um, I can't... I, you told me a few games I might be able to tell. Oh, I was too late. I waited too long. I'm sorry. Yep, sorry. I mean, we actually held off the podcast for like three or four days so that Jen could get ten minutes away from the torch. And it was too long. All right, well, then there's only one other question for you. Ah. And this one is from Lance, who heard oh, that well, I... We did play Ark Nova when we got home, though. Yes. And mm-hmm. that was a good game. I yep. enjoyed that very much. Yep. Yeah. Uh, Lance has heard me mention the Ezra Klein podcast many times. So wanted to get thoughts about a recent episode. What yeah. did we think about the... Uh, 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 you know, the recent episode about games. What did we think about some of the non-board game items discussed? Uh, how about the board game specific things? And of course, this was the episode we listened to when we in drove down to see your dad Yeah. Um, this weekend. You know, I was actually a little disappointed in that podcast mm-hmm. because I think a lot of the things he was referencing were video game related, not uh, board game related. Mm-hmm. And also, Ezra was so complimentary to the guy. I don't remember what his name was. Yeah. 
um, about how he blew his mind several times about various things, and I kept waiting for my mind to get blown. <laughs> and I'm like, maybe. I'm well, just I not- remember for like the first 15 minutes or so, there were you know he would make certain statements, and you would say, yeah. You you were doing a lot of oh hmm type you oh. know uh, early oh. nodding. Okay, maybe I liked it to begin with, and then he just ventured off into general game stuff, not particular to board games. Mm. Okay, it's possible. Yeah. Um, but I think one of the things that did stick with me about that is that um, a couple of weeks ago we listened to Andrew um, Yang mm-hmm. do a podcast mm-hmm. about how um, men and boys are basically falling behind now yeah and that they don't really have a place in this world anymore or that's the per- their perception mm-hmm. and um that but with, but they are finding place in video games right where they can control their world they know what's expected of them they they can feel like they're valuable and val- contributing to exactly, other people exactly yeah. yeah so that did come back up in the ezra klein um podcast mm-hmm. we just listened to and i thought that was an interesting you know definitely you know the more sources you hear something from the more plausible and uh logical i guess things start sounding mm-hmm. and so that was interesting to get kind of confirmation from this mm. podcast as well okay. and i thought yeah that's really interesting because for my days of playing everquest yeah i did know what my place was and i did know how i could help and i had a ranger and i had a druid and so you know i would say do you want me to bring the druid or the ranger mm-hmm. in and people mm-hmm. would say well bring the druid because we need <laughs> we need rides <laughs> basically <laughs> Take us, take us fly with us. Anyway, um, so I can totally see how that would be the case. Is mm-hmm. any time that your life's out of control, if you can go into a, a somewhere that you are in control, of course that's going to be a happier place. Mm-hmm. So that, I think that was there something that you took away from the Ezra. Uh, no, I mean, as I recall correctly, I mean, uh, probably the majority of it was. I mean, you know, there's, it's. I don't think they ever even said the word gamification, but that is the movement, the idea that. Uh, you can turn behaviors into gamifiable um, point quests. Mm. And that, you know, in our day to day life now, we are so completely surrounded by that. And that's a relatively. It's weird. He kept saying, you know, people in the 1500s and the 1700s didn't have this. I would say people in the 1970s didn't have this. I was wondering <laughs> why it was. Well, I mean, I, honestly, you know, gamification has existed today. I really think kind of just has come around in the last 20 years. Uh, you know, a big part of it was when the Xbox 360, which introduced a, co- a concept of achievement points that kind of spread between all games and created a meta narrative. And after that proved to be so successful, you had a lot of software developers saying, hey, Let's apply that to fitness software and, you know, all other kinds of software. Let's uh, make achievement points out of your own personal life. Are you hitting your own goals and whatnot? And there was like, and uh, I mean, I guess Weight Watchers and and, uh, sorts of things have always had that to a certain extent, but um, the gamification of life and really the most, the number one thing they talked about at great length was social media and chasing likes and um, how it's a, it's a false narrative that, oh, I'm doing really well because I got so many retweets or or what have you. And I, yeah, that was all fine, but I don't know. That was all, it was fine. It was all pretty straightforward stuff. Yeah. I mean, I guess because I don't particularly care about mm-hmm. social media that way. Yeah, yet. that's probably why you, you're in one of because that was the majority of the conversation. Yeah. Well, let's, ref- let's talk about this games in the, through the lens of social media and what's it like. And you're like, I, I, I look at, funny pictures of dogs and that's it (laughs) (laughs) i need videos of dogs doing cute things yeah so i mean it was fine um but i I don't know i i didn't really hear anything that you know wasn't just like common conversation 
15 years ago when I was still in the video game industry. And uh, again, you know, Xbox 360. It's weird. I mean, he, I don't, it, was, it was fine. It was interesting. But I was excited. And oh, uh, but ultimately, I guess it, it didn't quite deliver what I was hoping. Uh, also, also the uh, the person in the podcast uh, had to mention three board game recommendations for a person getting into games, and two of them were non role playing games, Modern Art and Root. Any thoughts on those recommendations? I haven't played Root from what I've heard of it. Says Lance. Seems like uh, not. Didn't seem like a good recommendation for someone who's played. I agree. That was ridiculous. That was guffaw inducing to say, oh, you know, for people who want to experience some of what we've talked about here, what should you play? Modern art is fine. I wouldn't recommend it, though, because, once again, the uh, bias against two-player gamers. Hey, how about a three-player minimum game? A game that really isn't all that great unless you have five or six players, because that's what games are supposed to be. And then Root, which is patently absurd to recommend that to any new person. That was, that was ridiculous. And then I forget he mentioned some role-playing game. Like you, like you said, so no, um, those were those were three very bad. Well, I mean, I don't know, I don't know about the role playing game, but the modern art is fine. You could have done much better. And root is absurd. If you wanted to talk about, he was just really excited about the extreme asymmetry. Then freaking recommend free radicals, which is a gateway plus style game that does the same thing. Although I really he was more interested less in the asymmetry and more about the interdependency and socio political structures, which to be fair, free radical well, free radicals does it in a different way. Anyway, yeah. So um, that's it, honey pie. I told you this would be a few minutes. Okay. All right, and uh, now, folks, hang on, and uh, we'll be right back. And I believe we'll have changed clothes and everything else because we recorded this almost <laughs> a week ago. Getting into the personal questions. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, welcome back. Here's the situation. <laughs> I've yet to record the main portion of the uh, podcast. That will come in a couple days when I stream it live. And so I imagine I'll look very different than I do right now. But from your perspective, if you're watching this on YouTube, you're wondering, what just happened? Look it. This is... I am hot, and he is cold. <laughs> yes. Uh, and sorry for folks who are listening, Jen just briefly got on screen to show she is pretty much just stripped down to a tank top and shorts, while I am completely decked out in hoodie, sleeves fully extended, with hoodie up, and hot water bottle on my belly to try and keep me warm in this icebox of a room it's we have. It's not even an icebox. It's like 68 degrees in here. Jen was gone for five hours, and I just tend to leave things as they are, and the house is very cold. But Jen runs a little warmer than I do. Hey, there's one of many personal things that perhaps you'd like to ask questions about in the future, because that's what we're here to do, answer personal questions and answers. And there aren't very many of them. Folks, like I said right at the beginning, or like I will have said right at the beginning of the podcast, please, more questions The questions at rado.com. Otherwise, you'll get short episodes. I'm thinking this might be a fairly short one. But anyway, Honey Pie. Yes. Um, we're getting to the personal stuff, starting with Andre, who is following up from a topic we had, I don't know, probably last month or the month before, because uh, Andre thinks immortality would usher in the end of the human race. By setting in stone our current way of being. 
Oh. Our strength is our ability to change both within and between generations. Um, and actually, Andre goes on about this for quite a while. Ooh. He has a lot of really interesting observations. Wow. Well, uh, since we have enough time, uh, we well, don't have very many questions. You can read the whole thing. It's a long thing. But, okay, here. Okay. On a recent oh. R&R show, you mentioned your preparations for a day when we'll treat aging as a curable disease, at least in the rich countries. I've thought about this a bit, and I'm not sure this is a great idea. I came to the conclusion that the rise and demise of generations are essential to our survival of our species. Mm -hmm. You go now. <laughs> I'll read the bold stuff. Well, yeah, Andre bolded certain things uh, so that we could, like, you know, cut to the chase. But, okay, if you want to read the whole thing, we'll read the whole thing. Uh, continuing. We weren't evolved to live long lives, physically or mentally, emotionally. Fixing the physical parts of ourselves to last forever would just provide the body for a calcified brain to inhabit. We become more risk-averse in our old age. We become more set in our ways and resistant to change. Some of us, you and Jen perhaps, stay pliable. Uh, you learn new things and change your minds. Most of us, however, don't. Generalized immortality would set in stone a way of thinking, acting, believing, that I think might basically usher in the end of the human race's march toward progress. I might be hyperbolic, but I think the point stands. Maybe science and medicine figure out a way in parallel to keep our minds keen, but we're still creatures of learned behaviors. Try this thought experience, says Andre. Actually, before we get into that, I would like to talk about everything he's said so far. Well, all right, but... Yeah. No, I want to talk about what he said. I know. Before I lose my thought. The thing. I'm going to lose my thought if we keep Okay, going. all right. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, it's fine. Go ahead, jump in. Okay, well, basically, I think that if we had immortality, yes. we would we would become dissatisfied with the status quo. Mm. And we would think about ways to make things better because we're going to be here a long time. We don't have an exit strategy. Yeah. Okay. That is, uh, that is a counterpoint. Um, I imagine Andre would say, yeah, people are stubborn. They will refuse. Yeah, but you can only do the same old, same old for so long before you get bored with it, right? Mm -hmm. And once you get bored, you'll start thinking about things in a new way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yes, uh, certainly. I mean, uh, you know, he talked a bit about you know the science and medicine. I mean, it is important to note immortality, which will be a a disease that is cured within the next Even thousand years. Let's aging. say within the next few within the next few generations, um, aging. Um, it, it won't be that, oh, then we all have to be rickety 90-year-olds. We'll all be 20-year-olds. We'll all be 30-year-olds. Because uh, it isn't just the stop of aging. It is basically supercharging our bodies to be able to perpetually repair <laughs> cellular damage, um, which is what we think of as aging. There is no reason that our cells can't continue to work in perpetuity. It's just that they break down over time, and that's what's going to be fixed. Um, and, you know, that applies to our brains, too. Mm -hmm. um, as it happens, but um, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a commonly misheld conception that oh, we only have a finite number of brain cells. Uh, that's actually not true. I mean, that's a that's old a wives' tip. Yeah. yeah, exactly. That oh yeah, well, you know, you, you know, once the, you lose brain cells, you'll never get them back. Your no. brain is constantly remapping. Mm -hmm. yep. Exactly. Yes. Um, and continued input does lead to new outputs. But anyway, uh, continue with Andre. I mean, but that is a good counterpoint. I've got a few myself. Okay. But Andre would like to try a thought experiment. Imagine every American that was alive in 1948 had lived forever. It was put aside the environmental issue of exponential explosion population. Here's the question. Do you think the civil rights movement would have happened earlier or later or at all? Or to ratchet this up uh, a bit, imagine a very wealthy American living in 1948 lived forever because surely the wealthy uh, will benefit from the technology more than the rest of us. Is today's crop of human beings worthy of immortality? Can we carry the hopes of the entire species? Uh, 
All right, so there's a lot of stuff there. First of all, to your question about, hey, um, if everybody, if they discovered immortality and issues of logistics and everything else were resolved, would we have had the civil rights movement? Um, I would say yes. Yes. Because the people in 1948 who were against civil rights were wildly outnumbered by the people who were for it. And those people are going to be immortal as well. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and uh, yeah, it's starting to warm up. Jen, actually, before we started filming, turned on the heater, so I'm I'm I'm, I'm removing the hood, but I'm keeping <laughs> I'm keeping my belly warm. It's, I did offer him my nice warm cup of tea. To I, and I probably should have taken it. Oh, because this is very nice. Um, anyway, though, yeah, um, yeah. So uh, you know, the same people were going to be involved. The people who were in, you know pushing so hard for the civil rights were young adults in 1948. And um, the thing is, humanity as a whole is good, and it's hard to understand that. It's it's hard to internalize that. The vast majority of people are good. Um, Unfortunately, and, we only hear about the bad apples. Yeah, and also. The, 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 the vast majority of people who maybe engage in behavior or beliefs that we don't believe of, or, you know, that some of us consider not good, have the potential to have their minds changed. Uh, a big part of, I believe, oh, ka-ching, there's another, there's another 25 bucks going to Ukraine. Thanks, everybody, for continuing to support uh, Jen. You might hear a few more of those. It's been going nonstop yeah. all day. Um, anyway. I'm sure I will have talked about that at the beginning of the podcast, what the ka was, um, which I have not yet to film. <laughs> the thing is, as we get older, as we age, as we get more set in our ways, you have to ask, what is it about that? Sure, on some level, there is probably uh, something, you know, I mean, there, there, there's issues physically with the uh, chemical makeup of our brains. But I think there's just as much at, um, at play there having to do with... Um, Really, oh, what do you call it? What's the word? Um, uh, uh, no, um, when you you know when you have finite resources, um, you know, zero sum game. No, I can't think of the word, but it doesn't matter. Um, the 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 thing is, I I think it is. I don't know if it's proven, but I'll accept that it's it's not it's it's not outside their own possibility that people tend towards more conservatism the older they get. Um, and one might say, oh, that's just because they're more mature. I would say it's because they're getting closer to death, literally. And that changes the way you look at things and value things. If you have immortality in front of you, and this is very important, because it's not like immortality is the only thing that's going to hit humanity within the next half a century. Or not, I'm sorry, half a millennium. Within the next 500 years, let's say. We are going to crack fusion. It, we're getting closer to that every day. If you follow science journals um, or you know, just even YouTube channels, we are getting close. I mean, we're, for the first time ever, I believe this year, we have actually triggered fusion reactions that had a net positive. Ooh. That were not, uh, oh yeah, look, I mean, we've done been doing fusion for a long time, but it's always consumed more energy than it created. For the first time ever, it's literally created more energy. Uh, not enough to actually be viable, but we're getting closer all the time. And the thing is, when we get to, I, now you put zero sum in my head, that's driving me nuts, post-scarcity. Ah. It's a, we humanity, for the entirety of our existence as a species, have lived in a scarcity mindset where it is easy to demonize or otherize others because there's a finite amount of stuff. There's a finite amount of energy. There's a finite amount of food. There's a finite amount of land, etc., etc. 
that's going to change as well. When we truly get to post-scarcity, when fusion, when uh, infinite, um, you know, clean energy is available for everyone. When cultured meat replaces both current industrialized um, livestock and current industrial, fundamentally changes the nature of industrialized um, food, right? you know, veg you know, vegetables and whatnot too. Well, the hydrolyzed proteins, the sugar, fructose. Yeah. I mean, everything is going to change. Within 500 years, we'll be closer than we can possibly imagine to that Star Trek post-scarcity utopian future. Um, and we'll have more than what... We won't have transporters, unfortunately. That well, really sucks. Yeah, but that's dying <laughs> yeah. every time you transport. So yeah, well, yeah, well, yeah depending on how you want to look at it. But we will have uh, unlimited clean energy. We will... We won't have replicators, but we might as well have. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll be one step removed from it. But we will have 100% automation of every bit of drudgery uh, humankind has ever had to do. And you're right. It will start out with the rich, especially in the Western world. Mm. It will, over time, spread to everybody. Just like, um, you know... In, uh, India is going through uh, the equivalent boom in their in in their wealth and prosperity of their society that um you know I don't know is what fifty years a hundred years behind the West right but they're going through that now um and, and you know and and, and that's going to spread beyond that uh, uh, it's going to be spreading through Africa the same I mean it will there will come a time within a generation or two where africa is uh, has has as strong and robust and healthy an economy as the united states does or canada does or or europe or what we think of as the west that's going to spread and so will um you know this infinite clean energy so will the apple of immortality it will eventually get to it and i'm not saying there is not going to be an adjustment period. And there's not going to be a time where we have to deal with haves and have-nots. And that will actually spur violence and it will spur inequality. But we will have time and we will get through that. I mean, the very thing you look at is cell phones. Yeah. The spread of cell phones. Oh my gosh, that's a per that's a wonderful example. Yeah. Um, imagine imagine a, a, a Chinese farmer in the 70s imagining that their children would have the total... Tum, uh, some total of all human knowledge throughout all of history in their f pocket at all times, yeah. and that they can look at and they, they can you know and, and they alone. can communicate with anybody anywhere in the world instantly. Yeah. That's the height of science fiction, but we take it for granted now. Well, let alone I mean, we saw cell phone use in Africa when we were there. Oh yeah, this is this is how people are able to make a reasonable living now yes, using exactly, that technology. Yeah. So yeah. why wouldn't everything trickle down and, and make everybody's lives better? Uh, yeah, I mean, and, and, no, 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 no. We're, we're not proponents of trickle down Reaganomics, not no, at not, all. No, but, not Reagan, but yeah. I'm just saying it's gonna everybody's gonna get it. Oh, yeah, just because we, Jen and I, in the uh, late 80s or the early 90s, we had a brick phone. <laughs> we certainly did. We, we did. We couldn't afford to use it. We pretty much just kept it in the car yep. um, in case the car ever broke and down. And it had like a 60-minute battery. Yeah, it's something, something <laughs> ridiculous like yeah. that. But uh, you know, fast forward less than 50 years... And I mean, I mean, imagine, I mean, if you want to imagine something, imagine the transformative power of, of what we now think, what is so commonplace in our lives. And it, it didn't take that long for it to spread everywhere. And I, I believe the same thing is going to be true here. Back to your 48 experiment. Another thing, uh, 
Right. You know, again, my, my point would be there were more people on the side of the angels fighting for inclusivity and equality than there were those fighting against it. But you have to analyze, why was anybody fighting against it? Again, scarcity. Yeah. I got mine, Jack. If, you know, if, if black people get equality, they will come in and take my stuff. Um, but you can't, I mean, you can't go to any um, you know, uh, 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 society where, you know, where, 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 where steps are taken. I mean, you can go to any small town in Texas where the, you know, the prevailing wisdom is, oh my God, um, you know, immigration is destroying this country and white flight and all of that kind of stuff. You go to any town, no matter how red or conservative you might want to consider it, you will find people in there who say, oh yeah, no, no, I'm talking about the other Mexicans. The ones in our town, no, they're the good Mexicans. <laughs> because People took the time to learn and know people. Yep, get to know Given them. enough time, that will spread. Now, here's another fundamental actor in all of this. Climate change. Because I'm pretty positive and, and bullish about a lot of stuff. We are well behind the eight ball on climate change. Climate change is going to set us back. We are not moving fast enough. We will not move fast. I tend to like to be very positive, uh, forward-thinking about, you know, but I'm not about climate change. But... Let's try to put a uh, silver lining on that too, because the realities of climate change are rural living is going to go the way of the dodo. Everybody's going to have to, it's going to be standard that everybody lives in cities. If you want to cut to two or 3,000 years from now, the entire planet Earth is going to be the planet Coruscant from Star Wars. Our planet is going to be from uh, stem to stern, one gigantic city. Um, well, and, especially with immortality. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah, exactly. I mean, but, but we will eventually colonize Mars and, and, you know, we'll spread out. But that is the inevitable future. And in part, that is because we are past the point of no return. Um, you know, we have to move to higher ground. And that means more and more people are going to move to cities. Rural living is going to become a less and less common thing. And the number one thing that happens with cities is... Everybody's squeezing there together. You got to find a way to live with each other. Yep. It's no coincidence that cities are the epicenter of progressive uh, movements because they are full of people who maybe, if they had grown out out in the sticks, a million miles away from anything, and didn't know anything about other cultures, might say, "Well, yeah, I just don't know how I feel about this other culture stuff." That is the inevitable future. And it's a bad future um, that we are basically toasting, roasting our planet. It's a future that's going to change everything. You know, 200 years from now, Canada is going to supplant us as the world superpower. And Russia, if they can make it, if, if they don't self-implode, which is what they're doing to themselves right now, if they could have just stayed on a steady track and not, you know, gone off the deep end, they it was poised to be Russia and Canada. You know, I mean, well, Russia ultimately, I mean, because everything's going to melt. Russia's going to have all the open waterfront they could ever want. Well, and they're going to Yeah, they're going to have more arable farmland than any um, society humans ever history has ever had. Canada too. Um, and but so everybody's going to be moving north. Everybody's going to be um, you know in cities. Everybody's going to be all up in each other's business. That will be problematic. Okay, but let's talk about, say, back in the, the day. In Istanbul. Let's talk about back in the day. Yeah. I'm sorry, which, where? Istanbul. Let's Istanbul, say. not yeah. Constantinople. No, no. So, All right, Istanbul. I've now warmed up enough that I can remove this from my belly. <laughs> like I think the, I've, I've uh, self-fired myself up a little bit, too. Anyway, I'm you sorry. Have, you've definitely yes. got your blood moving. Yeah. But, okay, say in the 1200s, you know, when people were meeting in Istanbul and great minds were working together. That is what's going to happen with cities, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. 
Um, that, that is what we are looking forward to. And, and those people all got along together because they had a common mm-hmm. a reason to get along. Exactly, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, your, your point about, well, the wealthier assholes... Oh, sorry, I, I try not to curse on the channel. Sorry, everybody. Sorry, apologies. The, the wealthy can be... But the wealthy can be altruistic, too. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I know a lot... I mean, there's a lot of ridiculous conspiracy theories about Bill Gates. It's absolutely absurd. Okay, well, let's talk about Warren Buffett. He's a real guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, no, I mean, um, I, I think the reality is, yes, there are wealthy people who do have everyone's best interest in mind. And, honestly, I mean, even the ones that are quick and easy to vilify... It all comes. It all stems from, oh, we have to get more money because there are finite resources. Imagine, I mean, that's what drives conflict in board games. We're all board gamers. Mm -hmm. What drives conflict in board games is there are finite crops. There are finite, there's finite energy. There's finite whatever it is. Land, etc., etc. When we get to the point where it's truly ubiquitous and no one wants for anything... That's a fundamental change. Now, it, it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be a huge adjustment. Uh, the biggest thing is has nothing to do with any of this, though. I think the most challenging thing for us as a species to address and come up to uh, is letting go of the shackles of puritanical work ethic. Mm, that's a hard one for me. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, it's not just you. I mean, uh, for again, oh, why did, did... What did you just happen? I don't know. Are we still recording? Yes. Um, we're just... Crashed. That's very strange. Um, let's try to open the file again because we need to talk about these questions. Um, but anyway, what was I just saying? I totally forgot what I was just we saying. We were talking about work ethic. Work ethic. Uh, podcast. All right there it is. All right. Um, yeah. So the work ethic. It's been so drilled into us. Again, it goes all the way back to the beginning. Your worth as a human being, more than anything else in all societies for all of history, with a few exceptions here and there, has been. What can you generate? What can you produce? Yep. In a future where you do not have to generate or produce anything, that's going to be very difficult for people to find meaning and purpose. Because we do still need to have meaning and purpose. Now, the answer to that is, it's around all of us. Our meaning and purpose is each other. Is lifting everyone else up. Is um, you know bringing light and joy to each other. It is creating for the act of joy of creation. Not... For the accumulation of wealth in a scarcity-focused uh, world. Yep. When we are post-scarcity, everything changes. Yep. And right around the same time, we become immortal too. And I don't know, there must be some science fiction that really kind of addresses this. I've never seen it. Um, and you know, Because again, mix into all that, uh, you know, whether you like it or not, automation is going to take everybody's job. Everybody's job is going to be gone. Given enough time, and so we will have to, uh, you know, recognize. Well, what are we going to do with ourselves? Because we will literally live forever. Um, and 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 this is, uh, it, it will be the problem of you know. I mean, again, if you jump two thousand years past that, it'll be the single biggest jump we've had to make as a species and figure out because there will always be pre-scarcity and post-scarcity world mm. when everything changed uh, to the very you know DNA of our existence all right anyway so uh, you know, that's why the, the fact that all these things are inevitable the only thing that could stop all this is freaking nuclear war um, that's Annihilation. it. Yeah. Uh, provided that doesn't happen, and hey, it could, but provided we can make it through that, um, this is our inevitable future as a species. And so we will have to change and adjust. And we will need pliable brains to do it. Um, right. Let's see. Oh, where are we? Uh, bah, bah, bah. Okay. Oh, so, um, oh, okay. Uh, so uh, I think it was Andre, right? 
Yes, Andre yeah. continues. Well, um, 1948. His right. questions about 1948. Oh, no, I mean, well, did you have something more to say about 1948? No, I just was no. trying to jog your memory. Right, okay. Vampire novels, continues Andre, <laughs> often talk about the burden or curse of immortality, the drudgery of it all. So even if the human race could be saved from our own stasis, what would you really want to, would you really want to do it, asked Andre. Uh, and then he adds, by the way, I just find this topic fascinating um, to think about. And I don't mean to be to harsh your ideas at all. I just wanted to provide a counterpoint and hear your thoughts. Oh, you got my thoughts, man. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, this is what gets me through the day is thinking, uh, you know, it, I mean, I, I, uh, if you're here, you must be familiar with my show. I am an implicitly positive person. Uh, I always have been. I'm positive. I always try to find the best in everything. I try not to complain. I'm, I'm human. I complain a fair bit. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll have my whiny bitch sessions occasionally, but I try really hard. Oh, oh man, I'm getting all kinds of sassy. Sassy molassy. Normally we film this in the morning, but Jen, like I said, she was gone for five hours, and uh, we're doing this late at night, so relatively late at night. Well, it's 4.45. It's almost 5 no, o'clock. That's late for us. But this, is when we, this is when we shut down for the night time. Yeah. Anyway, okay. so I'm, I'm getting a little loosey-goosey. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, that is a common trope in vampire magazine or vampire novels. I don't think it's actually... Yeah, but I, 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 those, those vampires are living a in... A crap life. Yeah, they're, they're living in the same world that I'm just talking. We will, be, we will evolve beyond. Yes, and also they have very restricted lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, sure, sure. Oh, yeah, yeah. Or I mean, want to do or must do. Yeah, can never see the sun. Yeah. Um, are forever doomed to um, lose their relationships with those that they love. You know, I mean, there's all those common tropes that fall into it. Uh, I mean, those, those do not apply. And in the same way that science fiction routinely and habitually fails to recognize and... Um, uh, you know, and, and bring into their fiction the true impact of automation. I would say vampire novels also fail to uh, dig a little bit deeper because it's it's easy because it creates drama and conflict. Um, yeah, so that's that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, it's fascinating, Andre. Thank you for your question. I mean, they were yeah. very interesting observations. Do you Definitely. have anything more to say on it, anybody? Um, well, I guess I would like to talk about when end-of-life issues might happen. Mm -hmm. And if we were immortal and we had flexible brains, maybe we would decide, instead of mm -hmm. whatever the time oh, sure. of ourselves yes. is that makes us die, maybe at some point we make a decision and we move on to whatever's next. Yeah. And that doesn't have to be a big religious um A, a, a failure of society, yes. Yeah. Yep. It can just be, uh, you know, yeah. I've lived this Nor life. Nor does I've... it have to be some apocalyptic dystopian Logan's run. Everybody must be eliminated when they hit 30 or, mm. or 3,000 or whatever it might be. And there was that Star Trek episode, too, where, remember, they were having war and they drew by lottery and people would just... Yes. Yeah. So, Good Star Trek reference. Thank nice. you. Yeah. Um, yeah, because they, they'd... Uh, they'd agreed not to have actual war. Yeah. But still people and Thereby making sure it continued forever, yeah. Because they just... Uh, uh, yeah, anyway, so uh, that's kind of where I'm at. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's not that this immortality thing is happening in a vacuum. I suppose if we had become immortal a thousand years ago, we'd be in trouble. Um, because we'd still be in a scarcity-based world. Um, or maybe we would have solved this 800 years ago. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I, I tend to, yeah. I mean, the fact that it just fundamentally causes everybody to rethink, oh, uh, because, again, they're in this post-scarcity world. I don't have to drive a truck anymore. I don't have to flip burgers. I don't have to uh, do accounting work. Oh I don't gosh. have to... I don't have to file my taxes. I don't, yeah, I, I don't have to, um, you know, uh, take tickets at the uh, 
at okay. a movie theater. I mean, I, you know, when, when you're freed up and you realize, oh, well, what am I going to do? And you have to go through... So- it's hard for us. For our children's children who have grown up in a world where there is never anything expected of them other than just fulfill your own life goals. Look inward and decide what it is you want to make you happy and do it. That's unthinkable to us. That's inconceivable to us. Uh, You know, a thousand years from now, that's going to be the norm. Yeah, you don't have to work for 30 or 40 years to create a 401k that you can retire on and finally do what you want to do. Yeah. Yep, yep. Yeah, exactly. Alrighty, so uh, we're moving on to Gerald. Who wonders, um, for Gerald, is an invasion of Ukraine or a Middle Eastern country or both uh, psychopathic? But they're portrayed differently in our media. Why do I think that is? Uh, obviously referring to um, Ukraine as opposed to as opposed to all the other Serbia. terrible things that are happening at all times. Yeah. Um, the, I, so really, it's a question of what, what is different about Ukraine. I mean, one thing that's certainly different about Ukraine is it's not a civil war. The vast majority, I mean, any given time, saw a video about this the other day. There's about 60 armed conflicts going on of, of, of significance on the planet. You know, where there's over, I forget what the metric was, over 500 people a year dying. That's like defining, okay, well, yeah, it's, it's, it's going from just a brouhaha into an actual armed conflict. There's 60 of them, or 59, I believe it was. Uh, and Ukraine is one of them. The vast majority of them are held within internal borders. Uh, and it's very, very easy for the rest of us to look at it and say, oh, well, okay, they got to work that out. Um, you know, in the same way, it's very easy for us to, I don't know, hear shouting in a house. And well, okay, I hope they work that out. But it's much easier for us to say, oh, uh, you know, people in one house are literally shooting at people in another house. We're probably a bit more inclined to call the cops as opposed to, oh, uh, there, there's a family inside that one house having an argument. And that's really, I think, I mean, it's... it's I. I, it is reductive and unfair to you know talk about you know such human suffering on such a grand scale and break it down to something so simple. But I do think that's kind of what it is. When it's a civil war, it's like, well, okay, they got to work that out themselves. Here's the deal. Or we don't understand the cultural reasons that it's going on. <sighs> exactly. Or yeah. What? Uh, China. You look at what they're doing with the Uyghurs, and it's it's terrible. It's horrible. You know, forced labor camps. Um, you know, trying to literally eliminate their culture. But it's all internal. And so, the, for the most part, the world just like, you know, uh, just said, well, boy, that really sucks. Maybe we should do some sanctions. Maybe we should try to bring them to the table. But, you know, that's something they got to work out themselves. The day that China invades Taiwan, boom, that's a whole different can of worms. And I suspect you would see a worldwide response not dissimilar from the day that Russia decides to, oh, uh, is it like a completely sovereign country? Yeah, um, we're, we're taking it. It's ours now. Um, you know, that doesn't happen that often. That is much rarer. Especially if the aggressor is one of the world's thermonuclear powers. Um, which, you know, adds a whole extra thing. So I think that's the difference. And, um, you know, why you, you see, uh, you know, the, the ongoing strife in Ethiopia. I mean, geez, it's terrible that, um, you know, what I, I, estimates are anywhere from two to 10,000 people have died so far in Ukraine. Certainly more like probably twenty or 30,000 people if you actually spread this back to the invasion of Crimea and, and all the rest of it, right? That's nothing. Uh, there's estimates that in Afghanistan this year, a million children will starve to death. Oh my gosh. Because of, uh, because of the Taliban 
what do you know? It turns out they're pretty incompetent um, at actually meeting the needs of their people. And what do you know? There's still insurgency going on. And what do you know? A worldwide um, you know, embargo against the country hurts the people. Yeah. And that's great if the people can actually do something about it. Um, but if they can't because they're under the thumb of, you know, of a brutal regime. So yeah, I mean, you know, on one level, Ukraine has nothing on the suffering that's going on there, or Yemen, or Syria, or whatnot. But again, those are internal conflicts. Really, I, I think the only one you could really point to that ever really appears on the world stage is Israel-Palestine. Because, but that's like a whole different thing. That is an ongoing occupation. Um, and, uh, and, but don't forget, last year... Um, you know, when you know when things flared up, I mean, it gets more attention than the average outbreak of civil war in in you know in, in Ethiopia or whatever yeah, it might be. Another nuclear power, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I I really think that's what it is. Um, if if this were all about Russia um, doing really horrible things to their Siberian population, doing just as bad a terrible stuff as what they're doing right now, but it's just internal. I think the world is like, oh, that really sucks. Hope they figure that out. Um, but it's when they cross their borders. And again, that happens in other places too. I don't mean to diminish, diminish, but not on this scale. Again, as many people point out, not since World War II have we seen anything quite like this. And that's why it's getting different coverage. All right. At least that's that's my opinion. All right. Uh, continuing on, Gerald says that he hopes my utopian world is something we can achieve. Uh, because Gerald could do with some inspiration at a time like this. What makes me keep the faith in that idea when the more efficient we get at technology, the more efficient governments are at killing people instead of evolving into Care Bears after thousands of years, people like Queen Victoria, Putin, Bush, uh, and others uh, currently in power in Asia, Africa, and South America keep popping up surrounded by like-minded people. Uh, and most of their population, quote, supports the troops. And you threw Queen Victoria in there because you want to say a quote from Queen Victoria. If we are to maintain our position as a first-rate power, we must be prepared for attacks and wars somewhere or other continually. Uh, it's what I was just talking about before. Scarcity. The sum total root of all of humanity's conflicts comes from the fact of, oh, you've got something and I don't. I want it. Or, oh, you're coming for what I have. Get away. You can't have it. I cannot stress what and fundamental change it will be. I mean, people always talk about, oh my gosh, when aliens come, what will it do to humanity and how it will combine? No, it won't. It'll just be, yeah, I mean, we're already seeing, you know, UFOs. The, the government's <laughs> saying, yeah, look, here's all the evidence. They exist. There are aliens. They visited us. And we're like, eh, whatever. Who cares? Um, because people can't care about that. People can't care about anything beyond their immediate needs and their family's needs and their friends' needs because we live in a world where if you get off that rat wheel... Treadmill. Treadmill? You'll die. And your family will die. When that goes away... And that's why I'm such a huge... Uh, you know, we don't have to wait until fusion. We can get there much quicker with UBI. Um, America is still the richest nation, the most powerful nation in the history of huma humankind. There is more than enough housing for every homeless person. There is more than enough food thrown away every oh day in dumpsters to feed all of our homeless. No one has to... Suffer. We just have to fundamentally rethink a world 
that we were born into that our parents and our grandparents and our great-grandparents going all the way back to when we were, you know, doing cave paintings and, you know, saying, oh, well, crap, they're, they're coming for our land. We have to kill the other tribes or whatever or, or wipe out the, you know, Homo erectus. Hey, those, let's get rid of them. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's in our DNA because there's only so much food. When there's infinite food and infinite power and infinite water and no one wants for anything, I could be wrong. I could be wildly naive. But I think it gets to a point where, like, I mean, don't get wrong, it won't instantly do it, but it will fundamentally. Oh yeah, oh, I, I, I can't keep hoarding. There's, there, it's infinite hoarding. At some point, I have to say, okay, I have enough, mm. and maybe it's okay. And and it doesn't even matter if I am trying to hoard because there's still enough for everybody. Yeah, <laughs> it's it, it's unthinkable. And again, it's something that I don't ever see addressed in science fiction, other than that is the actual reality that Starfleet exists in. Earth is a uh, post-scarcity paradise where they have long ago gotten rid of the concept of money because they simply don't need it. Because people make their life choices not based on what do I need to do to survive, but what do I need to do to fulfill myself. Does that mean become a scientist? Does that mean open up a restaurant and just spend my life making delicious food like my mother made for me? Not for money, but because it satisfies and fulfills me. Yep. Let me That's... just talk about satisfying and fulfilling. Yeah. Real quick. Yeah, okay. Because you haven't talked about this yet, but... I haven't yet, but... Uh, but yeah, but... yeah, you will at some yeah. point. We're going to do a time paradox. Again. Whoa, Jen is about to bring a very... I know what you're about to say. Uh, yeah? And this is so applicable to this conversation. Yeah. Honey, what, what do you want to say? Well, okay, so you may not have heard about this yet, but you will shortly. <laughs> that um, for the month of March, I am donating my time and materials, and I'm making some particular blue and yellow... Um, little glass creatures. Um, here, show them some. Well, folks, remember, this is mostly a podcast. Okay. A min- minority of people actually watch this, but anyway. there they are. Whee! Look at them. Oh, yep. they're adorable. Well, <laughs> yeah, they look a little roly-poly there. Oh, yep, sorry. But anyway, um, so basically, we came back from Vegas, and I just thought, you know what? I'm going to spend the rest of my, my month making something that I can sell, that I can donate all of the proceeds to. 100%. Yeah. Um, of the proceeds to the UK care um, organization who are taking care of the refugees and people who are suffering in the Ukraine. And so um, basically this is what I'm doing. And we've publicized it. I am getting so many orders. There's such a ground swell of, swell of support from gamers and glass lovers out there. You must have raised at least $5,000 right At now. least right now. Yeah. And, it is and that's just so, after a few days. so heartening that people want to figure out some way to help all these people. <clears throat> and I came home from Vegas and thought, I live in this, you know, very safe place. I've got everything I ever could possibly want or need. I've got a, a wonderful place to create. I've got you, wonderful food to you, eat. You live in a post-scarcity world. You do not suffer from any issues related to scarcity. That's true. Exactly. Yep. Um, and I've got my dogs. I've got my husband. I've got, um, you know, hot running water that's clean. And, you know, I've got everything. And these people in the Ukraine... Right now, don't. They don't have any kind of security. And not just there. I mean, there are people all over the world who don't. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, But uh, like we said, at the moment, the uh, focus is on the Ukraine. So um, I just decided I'm going to do this. And then uh, there's been a couple of little hiccups along the way where I thought, oh, well, I've only got enough glass to make 100. Oh, okay, well, I'll order some more glass, some more blue glass. Okay, now I've got enough blue glass to make 300. Well, if people want me to keep making these and they want to keep making the donations, I have absolutely no moral... Um, stand to stop making. <laughs> if so, for the month of March, I am going to just make as many of these as people want to do because this is something I can do. I am not a soldier. I'm not a diplomat. There's really very little I can do other than maybe inspire people 
to essentially make a donation through my work. And I am so, I can't tell you how excited and thrilled I am about this. And I'm not making, I mean, there's nothing in this for me other than the feeling of doing good. Well, no, and that gets to what I'm talking about. This is a sneak peek of what everybody has the potential to live a life of, you know, when we get post-scarcity. Uh, I mean, you enjoy making glass pieces. Yeah. You've been doing it forever. And, and, <laughs> and you provide and it provides you a lot of satisfaction and mm -hmm. uh, a lot of enjoyment. But in the back of your mind, you're always thinking, right, I got to make money off of this. Yeah. Because I live in a scarcity world. This is the first time you've ever said, oh, I'm doing this for a completely different reason. Uh, because you don't need to keep making these to make money. Uh, you know, because we're doing okay. You can completely say, oh, what if my entire career is all about just you know doing what I love to help other people who are less fortunate than me? That's the future I'm talking about that everybody will have access to. That people can make choices based on that instead of based on, right, what, what do I have to do to make sure that in my old age I won't starve and die? Um, you know, and, and you're yeah. living that. And you have talked to me about this a bit, how it's just like fundamentally changed your perception of what you've already been doing for decades because you're doing it from a completely different point of view. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean... It's uh yeah so that's that that is the reality yes you're right um Gerald we get better at finding ways to kill people we also get much better at finding ways to help people and it's and you just can't fall into the trap of media of it bleeds it leads it's much more clickbaity to talk about all the cool new ways we find to kill each other nobody clicks on the articles about all the new ways we find to help each other. But the number of ways we find as a society every day to help each other so radically outnumbers the number of ways we find to hurt each other. Because at the end of the day, nobody wants to. I mean, that's, a, you know, you can read, there's lots of studies. It's a really common problem for armies to get their soldiers to willingly pull a trigger. And this goes all the way. I mean, World War II, mm. lots of, 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 of those G.I. Joes were firing their guns, purposely missing. Because they just couldn't bring themselves to kill somebody. Because it's not hardwired into us. I mean, it is something we can we have the potential to grow beyond. And but nobody talks about that because that doesn't help ratings. Um, and because you need ratings in a scarcity-based world where I got to make sure I hit my monthly quota of viewers so I can get my bonus, so my kids can go to college, etc., etc., etc. It's 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 so hard to think about unplugging from what has driven us as a species for literally hundreds of thousands of years. Uh, you want to put them over here, anybody, if you want them. Or you'll have to put them right here. Yep. For literally hundreds of thousands of years. But it will happen. Because we are getting closer every freaking day. And we're taking steps back. We're having missteps. Um, you know, there It's often a two-step forward, one-step back. But I'm not even going to say that. It's always been for us for the entirety of human history two steps forward one step back only very rarely has it ever been one step forward two steps back if you take a if you pull back far enough and look at the grand picture we are always moving forward even when it we can't see any evidence of it anywhere you got to go looking for it um, and that's just a, an unfortunate side effect of uh, of a bleeds it leads scarcity based mindset that we all live in, but someday we will all be able. And Jen, Jen is an experiment. Jen has said, hey, I'm post-scarcity. I'm making all these things for a completely different reason. Yep. And it has nothing to do with uh, food in my belly. And yeah, 
I, I look forward to the day when all of humanity can share that experience because I mean, yeah, I mean, neither of us are religious, but I mean, I would think it's, I mean, it's, it's, it's very fulfilling. Yeah. In, in a and way I'm, I'm so that excited. nothing else you've ever done has. No, has I'm waking yeah. up every morning thinking, oh, I gotta yeah, make more. I'm going to make more. Yeah. 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 Not because, oh, I, I, I got to sell, but because I, I can help people. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. And I, like I said, it, I've made decisions based on how, how more can I help? Yeah, exactly. Yep. Okay. Moving on, Andrus completely changes the topic and goes pop culture. What are Jen's and my most favorite movie or most anticipated movie and TV shows uh, for 2022? I don't know. I don't know anything. You are totally our entertainment director. Well, first of all, movies, I'm just going to skip. Honestly, I don't care. I, I so don't care about movies anymore. Oh. I'd be fine if I never see another movie for the rest of my life. Really? TV is so superior to movies now. I just don't what care. About, what about um, the Avenger people? That is one long TV show. The Marvel <laughs> Cinematic Universe is the most uh, highest budget TV show in history. And it's just you uh, you have to wait a while to be able to see the next episode. It doesn't come every week. It comes mm. like three times a year. But they're all just episodes in a long form serialized TV show. It's so one of the reasons it's so successful. Because it's emulating what is so great about... <laughs> so, okay, tell you what, tell you what, tell you what, tell you what. Let's go... Let's go over to the browser, although I'll remember most of you are listening. I'm going to go to uh, nextepisode.net, which is the uh, a great website. It's uh, one I don't have to pay to use, but I do pay just because I use it so much. Because it is so hard now to keep track of TV shows I care about on a million different streaming platforms and all that. So this is just a really great thing. I mean, what's... Uh, Right, so, you know, okay, let's go to my watch list, my more full hardcore watch list, uh, sort by upcoming episodes, and I believe, isn't there a, uh, there's something I can do, let's see, channel status, all right, I believe there's some place I can say, hey, I just want everything that's for 2022. Oh, can I not do it because the picture's not big enough? Oh, I know I can do this. I've done this at one point in the past, because you're not the first person to ask, but uh, this isn't fun to watch me try to figure it out, so I'm going to pause for a second. Okay, so I, I went into uh, next-episode.net, which I use all the time. I'm, I'm constantly checking it. I mean, every day I check it to see, oh, what new show started today? Oh, that's interesting. Let me watch the trailer of it. Oh, I should mark that as something that I want to keep track of. Uh, you know, just because uh, it's just too much because uh, I love TV so much. Anyway, so I'm looking at my watch list, and right now I have four shows that have yet to launch. So um, Life and Beth on Hulu. Uh, a new comedy with Amy Schumer. Why was I interested in it? So it wasn't because of Amy. It was there's one of her co-stars. Uh, it looks very good. I mean, I like Amy uh, Schumer, but I can't remember who else was on it. Oh, that's gonna drive me nuts, though. All right. Oh, now I'm coming. Oh, there we, ah. there we go. All right. So once again, sort by. There's been recent episodes and in development. All right. So these are just ones. Wait, no, no. I want recently. Oh man, I just had it and I lost it. Hold on a second, folks. <laughs> All right, anyway, I can't find it, but I'm, I'm interested in that one. Uh, but basically, there's a bunch of Marvel stuff coming. Moon Knight is coming, so I'm excited about that. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Honey Pie. Yes. Jen has not had any interest in any of the Star Wars TV shows. She watched the first episode of Mandalorian and said, yeah, that's gross. I want nothing to do with that. <laughs> and she didn't even bother to look at any of the other stuff. Or what's it? Uh, uh, Boba Fett, because why? Uh, but honey, mm -hmm. are you at all interested in Obi-Wan Kenobi considering... 
It's Ewan McGregor. I like Ewan McGregor. Playing, and it's basically set between the end of the Star Wars prequels when, um, you know, the Empire rose and he had to go on the run and he basically grew into be the old hermit who watches know. over Luke and, you know, eventually grows into Alec Guinness. So this is basically a TV show that stars Alec Guinness. I think it's only six episodes long or something like that and it covers that time span between the movies. I might. I might take a look at that. She might watch that. Now for Jen... That's saying something. That's a high level of enthusiasm for I her. I like Ewan McGregor. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Ewan McGregor is great. He is, I mean, gosh, I mean, uh, long way round. Um, yes, long Ewan way McGregor up. is long definitely, he is living a post-scarcity life, and he is doing great things with his life. Uh, if you don't believe it, just watch long, you know, long Way Up, Long Way Round, all the shows he's done over the years. Man, uh, he's, he's a model for what all our lives could be eventually, which is why I'm, uh, you know, excited for the future. Uh, let's see, so... Uh, that's upcoming. Let's see. In development. In development. Of course, there's more Star Wars shows. For the most part, I don't care. More Marvel shows. That's all very, uh, very cool and exciting. And, um, yeah. But this is all, like, way off in the future. Because, you know, there's not even trailers for it yet. This is all in development. Uh, there's a show called, called I Am Groot, Honey Pie. Would you want to watch I Am Groot, maybe? I, I think, I think I know gonna, what he's going to say. Yep, yeah. Uh, yeah but Miss Marvel, I'm excited about that. But anyway, those are far off in the future. We're just talking about more immediate stuff upcoming. Um, let's see. What is what is running right now? Let's see. Let's just actually talk a little bit about the stuff Jen and I watch. Because this stuff comes up all the time. Let's make this the definitive. What shows do we watch? We Jen loves reality shows like Arctic Vets. Yep. She loves shows about people helping animals. I love uh, news comedy stuff like the Amber Ruffin show. Marvelous Miss Maisel, I'm very excited. Uh, Jen has maybe decided she wants to bow out with this new season after watching the first episode. There's full promo with Samantha B. Um, Severance. What are you thinking about Severance right now, honey? We oh. just started watching this. If there's only one channel I could uh, uh, subscribe to, it'd be Disney Plus because of all the Marvel stuff. If there were two, it'd be Apple Plus. Uh, Severance. Don't, don't, actually, if you're watching, do not read the description of Severance. Watch the first episode going in absolutely knowing nothing. Because remember, the first image you see is the woman waking up on... And, uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, you you want to go in the show, if you can, knowing absolutely nothing about it. Um, you know, And then give it the first episode and see if you're hooked or not. It's it's kind of a grim show. Jen really doesn't care for grimness, but I mean, you're still watching, so you're into it, right? I'm just completely intrigued by the... the, the I, I'm hoping... Because it's a little slow at the moment. Mm -hmm. And I'm hoping it's going <laughs> to... Uh, let's see. I'm like, oh, uh, uh, this hasn't, uh, it, um, I'm excited about The Last Days of Ptolemy Gray, a, uh, about, uh, starring Samuel Jackson, about a man who suddenly gets all of his memories back in the final days of his life and how it changes his life. Seems like a very positive and upbeat show. I tend to like that kind of stuff. Oh, well, maybe I'd like it. Maybe. Uh, okay, maybe. Um, oh, we like Resident Alien. That's great. Uh, very funny. Although, I don't know, you're not... You're not looking at me with a, yes, I agree, Resident Alien is awesome. Uh, I liked it better last season. So far this oh. season, I've just kind of been, eh. Meh. Wow, I think it's fantastic. Mm. Uh, Star Trek stuff, Picard starting. I gotta say, um, we're about to the end of the of season four of Discovery. I think this is the weakest season it's been. I have not been enjoying it. Um, actually, season two was the best. I love season one. Season two was amazing. Season three is like, meh. And season four is still fine. It's still Star Trek. I'll still watch it, but not that excited. Uh, we're always up for Survivor. Um, we just, no, we haven't finished. Uh, we're about to finish Australian Survivor. U.S. Survivor is starting. We're excited about that. What's with all these new dramas, the dropout about the Elizabeth Holmes, who was, who was you know, the scam artist who made the, or was promising to make the medical equipment. I mean, 
I guess I'm interested because, you know, they're prestige shows. They're going to be really interesting to me, but I just don't know what I care about. Well, I oh, let's really dive deep into a scam and a failure and negativity. So I don't know if I'm actually going to watch that, but I'm sorry, you were about to say something? Well, yeah. I think it's just that people know a little bit about it, so yeah, so they think they've got some viewers already. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the problem with Jon Stewart, uh, you know, of course, he spawned all of, you know, what I really enjoy for ironic, sarcastic... Uh, you know, maybe the world's going to hell in a handbasket type stuff, but let's laugh about it on the way down. Eh, maybe there's a little bit too much pessimism in these shows, but I mean, I, the problem with John Stewart, he's bringing on expert people. He's actually trying to approach things in a positive way. Uh, let's see. Oh, Jen loves uh, Phil and Kirsty Love It or List It, and um, I love Better Things. And we haven't watched the end game yet. I keep waiting, uh, or honey, yeah, we're going to watch gonna, this, and we just s- never watch it week after week. After we get done with some other things, I don't know if it's any good or not. I suspect we'll watch the first episode, so I say we'll pass. But the Gilded Age, oh. the uh, new yeah. Downton Abbey set in America from Julian Fellows, this has been fantastic. Yep. Oh my gosh, it was the last episode, the most recent one, where electricity came to the city. Yeah. I mean, geez, talk everything we're talking about, you know. Being able to see firsthand how transformative that was yeah. in a really powerful way is, you know, what we will, li- what we are living through. And I am certain any number of people in turn of the century New York, if you just ask them, oh my, yeah, uh, humanity has never been worse. Everything is horrible. We're, it's, it's all going to hell. And because they couldn't step back because of the scarcity mindset they were in, say, look at what miracles are happening around you every day. You know, and it's, it's hard for us to do that today. It's always been hard. Um, let's see. Oh, there's Australian Survivor. Billions. I have really enjoyed the new season of Billions. It's been such a step up. It was so passe. But the uh, th- this is a show that's always been about... Um, I'm talking to Jen. She's never watched it. Uh, basically, a, a mm. battle of wits between a New York district attorney, um, Bulldog, and a rich hedge fund manager who is, you know, the epitome of greed and, you know, all that. That guy is out. Uh, the uh, the you know and a new one is in and he's really weird because he's more of the Warren Buffett, mm. Bill Gates type of billionaire who is still trying to pursue personal glory and he ma- he he determines his personal glory based on how well he does financially because he's a human being and he lives in a scarcity world but the way that he 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 takes more altruistic paths to get there uh the main th- uh he's he's trying to uplift new york by bringing the olympic games to new york for 2028 or something like that and um and we get to see really deep how he thinks and it's kind of like well what what is what what's it like really hanging out with bill gates I mean, does he really have a scheme is he really trying to eliminate malaria or what's his angle oh that's right to put ships in um billions has been really interesting uh, been a big step up uh, with with bringing in the new foil for our hero, and things are grayer than they've ever been. Um, oh, late now I have John Oliver. Outlander just started its new season, oh, which yeah. we have yet to watch, even though I think we've got three episodes now. Super. What's with all these things? Here's the founding of of, of Uber, and there's one for the Wii offices and all that. I really love the Circus, greatest show on earth. It's worth subscribing. I mean, I subscribe to Showtime while it's running, and then I cancel Showtime when it's done. Um, oh, we really like the Rookie. Um, yeah, it's. A bit more pedestrian, but it's just so well done, and it's often so earnest. Um, yeah, and uh, yeah. Again, about good people doing good things. Yep, great pottery throwdown. Jen <laughs> loves uh, craft shows. Yeah, uh, craft creative competitions. Uh, Penn and Teller Foolish generally likes it. I, I'm to the point where I, I feel like I've seen it all, and it's just repeating itself week after week. But it's still nice. Yeah, it's it's a positive. It's a happy, upbeat thing. Uh, oh, Grand Day Out, Suman Cowman's Grand Day Out. That's a fun, um, you know, uh, UK channel. You'll need to get. Um, man, I really uh, should uh, get. What's it? 
who is it? NordVPN as our sponsor, so that you can watch UK shows like we do. <laughs> uh, the after party just finished. I loved it. I don't really care about murder mysteries, but you know the whole conceit of this was every week it's another murder suspect being um, interviewed by the cop, and every week it's a completely different genre. There was an animated episode, there was an action movie episode, there was a romantic comedy, uh, there was a music video episode. It's been, it was really good. I very much enjoyed it. Amazing Race. Um, oh, Somebody Somewhere. Wow. On HBO. That is worth a month's subscription of HBO just to watch Somebody Somewhere. Probably one of the most beautiful shows I've seen in a long time. Um, about a woman who has to go back home and uh, find herself. And it's just beautiful. Absolutely beautiful show. Righteous Gemstones is not, but I, I can't help but enjoy it in kind of a cynical way. Doghouse. Jen loves shows about dogs. Um, Kelvin's... Oh, Jen really loved Kelvin's Big Farm oh my Adventure. God. What was that one that we really enjoyed with um, the driver guy? It'll be on this list if we keep going. Okay. Um, yeah, but that was really fun. Yeah. I love the heck out of Peacemaker. Just thinking about it now, it puts the song back in my head. If you've watched Peacemaker, you know the song I'm talking about. You know, throw your dog the invisible bone. Oh, I love Peacemaker so much. Cannot wait for season two. Uh, let's see here. I mean, I'm skipping over some stuff because we haven't watched it as much. We don't care. Yeah, Secret Lives of Pets. Really enjoyed that. That was a nice little five-episode uh, thing. Boba Fett. Oh, horrible. We still got one more episode of Green Planet. It's been fantastic watching those plants come to life. I don't know. I got to assume, for everybody who's always so quick to say, how could you eat meat? I am morally superior. I eat nothing but plant-based food. Because it's fine because they're not sentient. Watch freaking Green Planet and tell me you're not cutting short lives that are, you know, I mean, it's, it's been amazing to watch that show. Yeah. Because they, I mean, the, the, you know, the level of sophistication plant life has that we have to kill to eat. That's why I just can't wait. Once we get that cultured meat, it's going to be awesome. Um, I think uh, once cultured meat really breaks through, we will not only look back at all the barbarism we um, visited on pal cows and pigs and chickens and all the rest of it, we will look back at the barbarism we visited on plants too. Like how, how you know the 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 insane level of genocide of these living creatures, who are different than us, but that doesn't mean they aren't deserving of life as well. Mm. Um, that's why we need that cultured meat, you know, basically lab grown meat uh, that can be mass produced and will just fundamentally change humanity. And it's another brick in the whole. Um, yeah, you know, be, because it will be we will have infinite energy, and all we have to do is just convert that energy into food and cut out all the middlemen of suffering of any living creature. It's amazing. Um, that's that is our future. That's where we're going. That's that is how I forget who it was who asked. That's how I can still be positive because I know these things are happening. Um, let's see, uh, mustard dogs. I haven't watched that. I just discovered this the other oh, day. Yeah. It's about Australian sheepdogs being trained to be sheepdogs. Ooh, so I'm, I know. Just, I like that. Yep, and we'll have to bust out the order to because that's not ABC. That's I think it's Australian ABC. That was fun. Oh, you really like Sue Perkins' uh, Big American Road Trip, another uh, UK show that you'll... Or, yeah. Of course, you're in the UK, you can watch it. But if you're anywhere else, you'll need NordVPN or some other VPN to watch it. Um, I have not watched the, the next to the last season of Ozark. I'm kind of waiting for the last one. I'll just watch the whole thing all the way through. And um, I have not watched Yellow Jackets yet. Or have I? I, I I'm looking forward to it. Uh, let's see. Boop, boop, boop. And some things we just haven't watched here... Cobra Kai, I watched the first season, and I just didn't... I mean, I know everybody loves it. I just didn't have any... Uh, I guess I didn't have any affinity for this subject matter. Staged. Uh, a BBC show is so fantastic. Uh, this was a show, Honey Pie, where two... I mean, it's uh, Michael Sheen and... Um, oh, now I can't think of his name. That's going to drive me nuts. I'm going to look it up. Uh, Doctor Who. Um, uh, Barty Crouch. 
I just picture right here and I can't think of his name. Yeah. And they didn't actually put his name here in the list. Oh, no, no, no David, David Tennant. Tennant. It's, it's literally the entire show is them talking over Zoom, um, trying to uh, do rehearsals for a play that they're hoping they'll be able to put on if uh, COVID restrictions wane. Because it was like, and it's mm. just, the, t- the whole thing was just filmed and it's, it's hilarious. Not the kind of hilarity you would like, but oh, it's so good. Cannot recommend Staged enough. Uh, probably most people haven't heard of it. There's more Phil and Kirsty with uh, Location, Location, Location. I will always love Curb Your Enthusiasm. So sad Travel Man is done. Loved Travel Man. Uh, Jen really loves the new All Creatures Great and Small. She's been enjoying that. I will always love Always Sunny in Philadelphia because I do very much enjoy kind of bitter comedy, which is weird. Completely inconsistent. Let me I said about myself. <clears throat> oh, and MacGruber. I love the season of MacGruber. Peacock is free. There's nothing stopping you from watching it. And Tad Les- Ted Lasso. Oh. The greatest TV show of all time. Yep. That was really awesome. Succession was fantastic. Uh, let's see. And what else? I mean, these are all just things I've marked. Some of these I've watched, oh, some of these I haven't. Chocolate. Oh, Jen. Oh, yeah. I was uh, just talking to Morning about that. Oh, yeah. Another uh, Jen loves cr- uh, crafting competition shows where artisans come together and make, do the best work they can in incredibly time-constricting, crunch, stress-induced things. Yeah. And somehow she just really enjoys that. Just always watching all those people go through all their stress. Um, oh, and then there was A Handmaid, Britain's Best Woodworker, another yeah. one she loved. That's cool. Uh, let's see here. I really dug Masters of the Universe Revelation. I know. Uh, but, and Solar Opposites is great. Not quite as good as Rick and Morty, but so amazing. Maybe almost as good as Rick and Morty. Uh, let's see here. I really like Foundations. Did love it. Liked it. The Great. I mean... That show is so amazing. It's about Catherine the Great. It's a comedy. It's a it's a dark comedy. Jen should hate it, but she keeps watching it because it's so good. Yep. Uh, even though it's just nothing but the worst of humanity, and yet at its heart, it is strangely upbeat and optimistic. I just built some arms. No big deal. Yeah. And then Rick and Morty, uh, making it Australia. Okay. Honey, do you uh, prefer making it Australia or making it U.S.? Um, I don't know. Uh, uh, maybe we're done with making it, folks. Maybe I need to um, remove it from the watch list. Mm. Yeah, it's. I didn't sound fine. very off. It's just not. It's just. It's not as professional or high level as the other craft. Shows, oh no, it's but. it's very professionally done, but it's 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 done in a very different voice. True. Because uh, it's very bombastic and over the top, and they're always trying to be silly. They're not necessarily taking things. They're not taking the craft seriously in the way Jen prefers. Uh, Big Mouth is a great show on Netflix. Uh, oh, Star Trek Lower Deck, I still stand by. Jen, okay, I watched the first two seasons. I loved it. It's the best Star Trek I, has ever been as far as I'm concerned. Jen has heard me say that so many times on the podcast. She said, okay, fine, we'll watch it. Because she only liked to watch the first two or three episodes. And like, I don't, I, I'm not interested in this at all. This is a bunch of yelling and screaming. Um, <laughs> so she did keep watching it. And she's watched. So what do you think, Honey Pie? Weigh in on Star Trek Lower Decks now that you have finished seasons one and two. I think it's good in the same way that a lot of Star Treks are, in that it's expanding and showcasing how people can get along Mm -hmm. and work together and the importance of that kind of stuff. There's still a lot of yelling. Yep. (laughs) Yes, there is a lot of yelling and screaming because they're trying to be funny and whatnot. I'm not, not, I don't say, don't actually go to that show watching it for comedy. Uh, Let's see here. Uh, Grand Designs. Jen also loves uh, British property shows. Or, I mean, uh, Grand Designs, I guess it falls under the whole, oh, I like things being crafted. I like, yeah, you know, these, uh, nice these house amazing houses see. being made. I love Archer. Let's see. Among the Stars. I don't remember watching that. I haven't watched it yet. Uh, let's see. And How to Live Younger. I obviously noted this, but haven't watched it. What if, my most disappointing thing in the entire Marvel Cinematic Universe, I've mentioned that before, really want to watch Reservation Dogs, haven't watched Squid Game. There's so much TV to watch. So how can you, how does anybody have time to watch movies when there's so much amazing TV to watch? 
dropped. Oh, uh, the 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 Doug Day's little mini series on Disney Plus was great. Back to Life, I really want to watch. It looks really amazing. A woman who was uh, in prison for eighteen years, rightfully, and she's uh, out now and she's trying to rebuild her life. That seems really fascinating to me. Um, you know, especially because it's about a woman. You you, know, you don't normally hear that story. Uh, let's see here. Oh, good old Caesar Milan. There's regular making it. Generally likes Alone. I think we both do. Um, we used to watch Naked and Afraid, but kind of stopped. Alone is uh, more less gimmicky. It's yeah. just it's just pure to the metal. Look, we're just here trying to survive. Yep. Um, and it, it's very compelling television. Let's see here. Uh, oh, Schmigadoon. <laughs> Schmigadoon. Oh, man. Such a wonderful few years we've had for TV musicals. Schmigadoon, which again, on Apple TV. Apple TV just keeps knocking it out of the park. Uh, you know, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend. Um, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. Mm, uh, yeah. You know, the musical episode of After Party. Uh, um, and, you know, I mean, I'm just loving all the uh, musical TV we're getting these days. Dave on FFX, which is... Uh, I, I, I can't even describe it. It's a true a semi-autobiographical story about a white rapper in L.A. and all the adventures he gets into, I was really impressed by. I really liked Physical. Um, again, another Apple TV or Apple Plus show. Let's see. And then Loki. And then a show just called Dogs on Netflix, which is uh, really interesting. It's less about the dogs and more about the people and their relationships with their dogs. Because uh, it's like an hour-long show, just really digging into that. That was uh, very beautiful. Oh, the big weekends with Greg Wallace. Jen was enjoying that. Yeah. Just seeing lots of tra- Jen likes travel with uh, with uh, charming and charismatic British people yep. uh, to leading her on the travel. Mythic Quest, Raven's uh, Banquet. Yep, another great Apple oh. TV show. Uh, Clarkson's Farm. I knew if we went far enough. Jeremy Clarkson. Yeah, that might be Jen's favorite TV show you have seen in years. Is there anything you enjoyed as much as Clarkson's Farm? I, I mean, really you were. That. Literally laughing so hard almost every single episode you were crying yeah, with laughter. Oh, it's it's sad to laugh at him, but he is he's a funny man and he um, gets yeah. paid well. Yeah, it's Jeremy Clarkson <laughs> who is a you know was the head of that British car show that I can't think of the name of, and he's retired from that. And now he went and tried to run a farm, and it is hilarious. Uh, and yeah, you know, I just wish for fun too because Jen dreams of you know. Having a farm. Uh, of living that farm life. Yeah. And maybe if we get to be immortal, I'll get, get there, to Yeah, maybe. Although, we won't get to because we'll, we won't be, um, it'll all be culture mixed. We will not, ro- we will not have uh, livestock yeah, anymore. Um, so I don't but know we can do. still have pets. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Your, your farm will just be about, you know, saving stray dogs. That's what it'll be, yeah. no doubt. Mosquito Coast, another great Apple uh, Plus show. Uh, based on the old... <laughs> movie, uh, or a complete retelling. Very, very different than the uh, Harrison Ford movie from the 80s. Black Lady Sketch Go is fantastic. Uh, generally likes All Rise. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, 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 which now says it's on the Oprah Network? Whoa, that's interesting. Alright. Uh, I guess things have changed. Let's see here. And we can <coughs> keep going. But, I mean, oh, The Nevers was very good. Uh, looking forward to season two. It'll be interesting to see what changes without Josh Whedon at the helm anymore. Jen loves Alaska Animal Rescue. Alaska Animal Rescue. Uh, that uh, short sketch show with Michael Shea was great. Really enjoyed Invincible. I mean, I could just keep going. Oh, For All Mankind. What did you think of that? That's the uh, the oh, alternate right, history where, space uh, race. Where... That was interesting. It was hard to kind of get into, but once you got into it, it was good. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Folks, I could just keep doing this. This just keeps going and going and going. Uh, I mean, that's my point. There are so many TV shows. It just goes and goes and goes. Uh, and there's more coming all the time. There's just, 
movies, but yeah, other than the uh, Marvel movies, which are again just part of the ongoing TV show. So sorry, I that was the thing with movies too. Is right now it seems like just Hollywood has to get more and more bombastic and crazier special effects and everything. And I don't know, maybe I'm. And maybe I'm old and cranky, but I'm just like, I, I need you. Slow that down. I want to see this stuff. And it well, goes that's, a, that's the, the thing. thing. Movies have to get... Movies have a really hard time because they are now competing with long-form television. Long-form television where, oh, I mean, you wouldn't think twice about watching a show you really love. Three hours. Yeah. Three episodes back-to-back. Yep. But a three-hour movie's like, whoa, that's still, that's crazy. Come on, that's ridiculous. Yeah, well, it's nice because you can have a break. Well, no, that's the thing. I mean, but you never take it. That's what I keep saying. Every time I say, hey, but we can watch this three-hour movie because you don't think twice about watching three hours of a show, yep. but there's a psychological thing. It's yeah. not the fact that you You're can committing. physically take a break. Yeah. It's the fact that it comes, you, you have an expectation of bite-sized morsels. And um, you, you, have, you have more readily um, satisfying wrap-ups because, oh, we're always mm-hmm. wrapping things up in 42 minutes, but then the continuing story happens as opposed to, no, you have to, I mean, and so movies are competing. More and more movies are getting longer and longer and longer now, and I am finding them less and less compelling. I wonder, what, what happened to our 90-minute movies? Why can't we have those anymore? Because movie makers are trying to compete with long-form TV, and it doesn't work. I mean, um, you know, it was ridiculous. I mean, Dune, uh, David Lynch's Dune was 90 minutes, and it actually told more story than uh, the the new Dune. The new Dune was only told half the story, and it was like almost three hours long. Lynch's Dune told the almost the entire story in an hour and a half. Um, and uh, I, you know, I don't know. It's, it's very strange. But anyway, yeah. So movies are just not as compelling. TV is where it's at. Oh, hey, here's a question for you, Honey Pie, because it was what's most anticipated, and we didn't really go much in. We kind of went backwards instead of forwards there. Um, so I told you Obi Wan Kenobi is coming. Yep. And you were like, "Oh, I'm you and McGregor. That's cool." Yep. You know what else is coming? Uh, a new Star Trek show that is, um, oh, what's it called? Star Trek: New Frontiers, and it's basically continuing the story of Captain Pike and Spock and Number One. You remember in Discovery Season Two, it was Spock came on board and Captain Pike was the new captain, and he was the noble one who basically like, pulled them all out of the doldrums and made it a happy, upbeat show instead of. Season one, which was very dark and depressing and all that. Mm. And so it's it's going to be much more about, oh, we're just going and having space adventures. Um, you, know, you know, Planet of the Week, you know, more classic type Trek stuff. Mm. Which would you be more interested in? The ongoing adventures of Captain Pike and Spock in Star Trek um, New Something or Other, or the, uh, the, the interim story of Obi-Wan Kenobi? Probably Star Trek. Mm, okay. All righty. Well, there you go. So there's a few things we were looking forward to, and maybe a few things folks could check out. Sorry, that was that was. I really should have been explaining the shows more. I was just assuming you could see them, and I keep forgetting. A lot of you can't see it. Apologies for that, folks. But um, take some notes. There was some good stuff in there. We think anyway. Alrighty. Oh, and then um, Andrus wonders, what are my thoughts on Mythic Quest Raven's Banquet? Uh, that was on the list. Uh, uh, as an insider, does it bring back memories, good or bad, of my life as a video game developer? Is it cringeworthy for me? Uh, do the show's characters remind me of my coworkers? Uh, yeah, I. It, it is. The show is wildly misrepresentative of what it actually takes. To, you know, the actual act of making a big, gigantic video game. It, it, it seems like they really didn't do their research or they would compromise on, let's actually make a documentary-style show to ensure they have more jokes and more interesting interpersonal conflict. But the personalities are spot on. I, if I recall correctly, in the second season, there were several callbacks to the... Um, oh, what do you call it? The, 
the concept artists, you know, they kept calling into, oh, you know, you're the magic makers. You can make my crazy half-baked idea and then turn it into a beautiful picture. It just suddenly sells the idea. And it's a little subtle thing, but uh, those concept artists were in a pitch black room. Because in the video game industry, it's always pressure, uh, you know, from the production staff. The programmers all want to be in bright, airy rooms. Uh, the designers do. And the artists all want to be in caves. The artists want no glare on their screens ever, once, for because, because because they have a different expectation of stuff. And it's always this really tricky thing, trying to make a proper layout. And I say, oh, yeah, look, they're all in a cave. And, um, you know, and, and they have different expectations. So there's lots of little touches like that. And personalities, personality class kind of are very spot on. But I think it's because when you're trying to do a massive creative endeavor with lots of big egos, I mean, there, a lot of that stuff is universal in movies or video games or probably in board games too. Okay, let's see here. Lance wonders uh, that we do so many personal questions, Lance just want a thought on a few things. Honey Pie, do you drink alcohol? And what are your thoughts on drinking alcohol? I do drink alcohol. Mm-hmm. Um... I think it tastes good. <laughs> but I go for the fruity, froofy things that are, you know, sweet, I okay. guess. Yeah. You don't have any hang-ups about the destructive nature of alcohol and you know, how it can um, you know, ruin families and this and that and the other? Or... Um, I... It's fine if you don't. You just like a nice aperitif case. You don't drink much. No, I don't. Um, you, I mean, Jen can get very drunk very quickly. Yeah, I'm and, pretty much a lightweight. Yeah, Jen's a very much a lightweight. And you know, back when I worked in the video game industry, and we would have <laughs> uh, like Big company parties, yeah, and whatnot. Yeah, you know, Jen would go there, and you know, it was an open bar, and Jen would just get completely plastered. And that's how most of my coworkers knew my wife <laughs> was when she was just completely. Oh, let me tell you, you know, all that kinds of stuff <laughs> like that. Was I that way? Oh gosh, yeah. You just become so extroverted and loud. <laughs> uh, you know, I mean, you you become a cartoon character, quite frankly. Oh, well, um, you're loud all the time, I so am, yeah. I guess maybe I just match you. Uh, me, I don't drink at all. I never have, and I probably won't until I'm on my deathbed, except I don't plan on being on a deathbed, do I? Nope. Um, I come from a family of functional alcoholics, and I decided very early on, you know what? I'm pretty weak-willed. I'm, addic- I'm addicted to ice cream. If I have a little bit of ice cream, I can't stop. If there's ice cream in the house, I can't stop thinking about it until it's all consumed. I decided, I think, in my early teens, based on seeing my, my dad and my brother, who was younger than me, that, yeah, you know, I should probably just not do this. This is probably a choice I should make. And I've just, I, I had a beer when I was five or six years old. You mean you had a taste of it? You're right. Uh, my dad gave me a taste of a beer, and I thought, oh, this is, why are you drinking this? This is horrible. And I imagine that's probably what anybody thinks the first time they've ever had a beer. Um, and they stick with it. And I'm like, and I just had no reason to go back, especially because I saw the problems that could be endemic. Um, of course, there's, I mean, I, my wife is a perfect example of being able to do it responsibly. But, you know, one of the most telling lines of any TV show I ever saw was, I think, in the final season of The West Wing, when, um, I can't think of his name, oh, but the character. Josh? No, not Josh. Uh, the, the chief of staff, the older guy, um, yeah. who, who you know, was an alcoholic, and it was a, a recurring thing in the show. He was just talking about how, I just don't understand how you can do it. I don't understand how you can just have one drink, and it doesn't consume you. I, that's impossible for me. That's why I, you know, I have, yeah. And that always really struck me. And it was long after I made my decision, but it definitely reinforced my decision, because I, I think that would be the case for me. I think if I got a taste for it, it would be, it'd be a problem. Yeah, and uh, I'm very grateful that you don't, yeah. that you have that ability to say no. Yep. Uh, along the same lines, are you pro-marijuana? Are you ever or currently do you use cannabis? 
Well, here's the interesting thing. In my 20s, I have never imbibed in anything for the same reason. I would certainly like to give it a try. I just don't trust myself. Um, when, when, if, if, I, if I can't control my cravings for ice cream, I just don't want to get into actual mind-altering substances that could um, you know, derail me. So I've always chose not to, but I've always been pro-deregulation. I've always, my whole life, been against the war on drugs. And the first time we ever did our wills in our 20s, um, I said, okay, I want all of my estate, whatever it might be, to go to these um, organizations that were fighting for marijuana legalization. I I look back. I know you know. Obviously, it's ridiculous now because it's pretty much you know it's, it's rapidly uh, spreading, and you know within within a generation it'll just be as normal as alcohol usage, and it's ridiculous that um, you know there's it's all very racist as it happens. The uh, origin of the war on drugs and um, the demonization of that Mexican weed. Let's call it marijuana instead of hemp, even though it's literally a miracle fiber for the vast majority of humanity's existence. And I was really angry and strident about this in my twenties even though I've personally never used. Yep. And I'm happy that it's legal in a lot of places now, too. Okay. Alrighty. What are your thoughts on other drug use? The, well, the war on drugs, incarceration surrounding drugs, anything um, other from natural things to opioids? Well, I think I've just kind of answered that question without even knowing you were going to ask it. <laughs> um, I, I so applaud, I'm pretty sure it's Portugal, Oh, yeah, yeah, that has yeah. legalized and yeah, legalized regulated everything. And regulated. And re- legalized and regulated everything because they realize the only true way to help somebody is not to demonize them and otherize them and punish them, but to actually divert funds that go, you know, the rest of the world just spends on policing and just wastes, just burns money. Um, it's instead put all that money into, um, you know, therapy and, uh, uh, you know, safe zones and, you know, free needles and all that stuff. You know, stop demonizing people who are literally suffering from a disease. They have brain chemistry different than yours. And it is, I mean, I, I, again, that's how I look at because I suspect I would be the same thing. That if I got a taste for it, I mean, I, I, you know, my gen can have a scoop of ice cream and not think about it twice. I can't. And, it, you know, and so everybody has different brain chemistry. So stop destroying people's lives, you know, and throwing people in jail for no... I mean, yeah, the war on drugs is uh, one of those definite step backs that we took. At the same time, we were making the... Nixon, hey, good job with the EPA. Bad job on the war on drugs. Also, bad job on Watergate and a bunch of other stuff, too. A good job on opening relations with China. I mean, there's, there's good and bad all around. Still probably more net positive at the end of the day, as hard as it is to believe, but just as a callback to earlier. Alrighty. Marty asks, Honey Pie... You didn't call you honey pie. Oh. How do the chickens do in the winter? Well, here they do just fine. We don't Mm -hmm. get cold enough to have them fuss much at all. Um, They don't... I don't think they do very good with depth perception in the snow. Yeah. So I go out and I sweep their their stoop so that they can come out of the chicken coop. Okay. And, uh, you know, enjoy being outside. But, yeah, other than that, they're fine. Okie doke. You don't have to do anything special about it other than just sweep away the snow. No, I, well, I, I take them, I take warm water out and I make them their wet food with warm water instead of cold water. Okay. So that's, that's it. That's, those are your two changes. Otherwise yeah. it's no big deal. Yep. Of course, it's not getting super cold here. I no. forget who it was, but somebody talked about, oh yeah, oh, I mean, yeah. 30 below if I had chickens, that. they would freeze to death. So I can't do it kind of thing. That's obviously a very different circumstance than us in the Pacific Northwest. Yep. Um, how, honey pie, does your routine change so they aren't cooped up all the time? 
Oh. They're just not. Yeah, well, I sweep their stoop so they can figure out how to get out of the coop. Yeah. That's it. And then they're not cooped up. They yeah. they get to roam around on... How big would you say that space is you've made now? Uh, I mean, it's a fraction of an acre, but what would you guess it is? Well, the thing is, you're supposed to have, um, in, in the coop, I think it's 10 square feet per bird. Okay. In the coop for internal, you know, living space. And then I think it's something like... 25 square feet per bird outside mm-hmm. and so we've got like a hundred times more than what they actually need okay so i don't know exactly what to that be is. humane yeah i mean how i mean how long i mean you, the, the big space you've got that we've just been slowly annexing more <laughs> of the public land that our association our yeah. housing association is uh, well we've always gotten permission we've never stolen anything i mean what is that is that i'm thinking in terms of football fields football field is 300 yards that's 300 feet um well, I guess it's, prob- it's probably the same as 300 feet, honey. 300 huh? yards is 900 feet. Thank you. Yes, of course. That is what I meant. I don't know why I did that wrong. My brain. My brain chemistry failed me. <laughs> uh, so, yes, yeah, 900. So, I, do you, would you say you've given them, I don't know, maybe like 80 by 60? Is I'm that how big? I think how many fence panels it is. Yeah. There's one, two. And each one is probably, like five feet? No, it's an eight foot fence. Oh, okay. So I think there's probably eight. So that's probably about 64 feet out. Mm-hmm. And then probably about. It's a rectangle. 40. Yeah, right. 40. So you're thinking 60 by 40. I was guessing 80 by 60. Okay. Let's put it somewhere in the middle there. So they've got tons of space. And Jen just lets them out. And uh, yeah, the we only have problem... an electric fence that protects them from. Yeah. Keeps them from getting out and uh, keeps neighborhood dogs from getting in yep and uh and they just don't seem to be i mean you haven't clipped their wings for a long time have you and we never clipped the new chickens yeah and they just stay inside they're good chickens yep okie doke they know where their food is Alrighty, top wonders um or says and i feel like this came up before so i might be repeating honey does this sound familiar to you top points out one of the funniest segments from rotto talks through was my account of my ill-fated trip from new york back to malta uh you know with the stopover for the saturday night live taping Yeah. Uh, for those who want to listen to it, it's episode seven, around an hour and 55 minutes in. And then there, he gives gives a link. I will not play it now. Uh, you can find it on YouTube or just scroll down further in your podcast app. Episode seven, uh, hour and 55 minutes in. Top says, this segment was so classic, full of drama, slapstick, uncomfortable situations, bureaucracy, mounting tensions, twists, and a roll on the floor ending. Uh, it could have easily been a uh, uh, sketch comedy skit. Do we have any uh, such funny stories to share? No, nothing like that. That was a really, I mean, silly stuff has happened to us. Yeah. I mean, what has happened to us? I mean, but unfortunately, I mean, I couldn't tell you that story now. It's, it's fortunate that I happened to be recording a podcast. But I mean, there was the there was the the long night after Peter Molyneux's wedding where we went out to the middle yeah. of nowhere and got a canoe. Yep. And it should have been uh, an hour long task. And five hours later, we were still struggling in, in full <laughs> fancy dress. Yep. I mean, so there's that. What other silly things have happened to us over the years? Oh, we've had various, like, the problem on Misadventures. the... Misadventures. Uh, on the Autobahn. Yes. When our uh, tube from the radiator burst. Yep, our first driving holiday. Was it our first one? No, I think it was... Yeah, because the, Fran- the one in France worked great. Yeah, Everything was, was fine. fine. And we thought, oh, let's go further. Let's go all the way to Prague. Yeah. Drive from, um, from London to Prague and back with our camper van, and everything went wrong. We broke down in the middle of the Autobahn. Uh, German police came along, and we had encounters with them, and sketchy... Yeah, you can't you know. stop on the Autobahn. Yeah, as it turns out. No, I mean, they like, don't like that. Yeah, but... They don't care if you don't have any water in your radiator and your hose is broken. Yeah. You yeah. have to get off the Autobahn. Yep, yeah. So, um... Uh, what else? I mean, 
I mean, yeah, some silly stuff happened at Dice Star West this week. If you uh, watch the most recent R&R episode, probably number 31, I start out talking about um, our misadventures trying to get back home because our flight was canceled. So, um, yeah, we, we've had things like that happen, but... You know that it's really a once in a lifetime story. That and yeah. absolutely, and I, 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 as I recall, I was not embellishing at all. It was just an absolutely manic series of events that are you know stranger than fiction. But most of our life has been not stranger than fiction. I'm afraid, and even if we ha- even if we can remember, the, we just can't remember the stories. I genuinely, I, I only remember snippets. The ma- thing I remember most from that story was. The next day, after Saturday Night Live, panicked on the public city bus trying to get to the airport, talking with my friend on the phone uh, because my phone was dying and I could not book a flight. Oh, yeah. yeah I'm, and, I'm, and I'm getting into I don't remember what I'm starting to kind of what I think I remember happened. Yeah. Uh, folks, definitely enjoyed episode seven of the podcast. Did you know uh, we've got... We've been doing this now for what five years, six years. Wow, it's, it's ridiculous how long. Well, maybe we should just keep doing this in perpetuity because then we can go back and listen to our uh, yeah, stories. We, yeah, we need stories. To remember, alrighty. Um, anyway, sorry, Tuff. That's all we've got. And um, it is now time for dogs. Oh, hooray. Matilda says this is a photo of Platon, or perhaps it's Platon, just for the sake of showing off the most beautiful Labrador ever. Oh, well, he is lovely. Look that, at that, that shiny coat. That is a beautiful lab. Um, and a very sporting color of collar. Yeah, yeah. I think. And an excellent shot, too. Periwinkle is, uh, is the color of the year. Yes, it, it, you're very good. And then Nigel, as always, is back with some Charlie and Sky action. Hope you had a safe trip. See attached photos of Charlie and Sky enjoying some leftovers. Oh, yum. Yep. And <laughs> it's very silly pictures, folks. If you want to go and watch it on YouTube of dogs. What do you say? Is that like a... It's, a it's, it's Greek yogurt. Yeah, it says yeah. Greek. Yeah. Uh, you know, licking out the end of the uh, Greek yogurt, just sticking their faces in it and being silly, happy, oh. wonderful dogs as Charlie and Skye are. And I think that was it. That was all we got. Now look, he's even labeled them so we know. Yes, very we fortunate. we can't really see the jowls when they're stuck in a tub. By the way, Nigel, I appreciate you putting them in PDFs to try and make things easier for me. It made it significantly harder for me because I had to screen capture to get the... Uh, there was no way to get pictures out of a PDF into Word. So you can just go ahead and attach them like normal. That's cool. Uh, but anyway, thank you for the pictures. Those are adorable. Uh, and also, Playton, remember folks, when you send rec- uh, questions, the questions at raw.com, Jen loves pictures of dogs. Uh, but anyway, we are now done and, and with the show. And pictures of cats. And pictures of cats. Or any, any lizards, of your fuzzy bits that birds, you love. Yep, yep, yep. yep. Say, uh, say bunny rabbits. Um, yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, it's time for your words of wisdom. Oh, okay. Um, great, because I have some. She has some words of wisdom, folks. Yes. Get or But hold on a second. We're going to put them on screen. I'll be right back. Oh, I'd actually, they're not on screen. Oh, but, okay, you can, you can type it up and put it on yeah, screen. Yeah, okay. We'll be right back. Okay. We're, we're not going anywhere. From your perspective, we'll just be back instantly. I don't have to say we'll be right back because here it is now. <laughs> and this is actually a quote from Jen's mom. Yep. Um, uh, Emily, who was a great, great lady. So what did Emily have to say, honey pie? Oh, so um, especially with everything that's going on right now and people getting um, busy with stuff with COVID ending and, you know, just things are ramping up again, I think. Mm-hmm. Um one thing my mom said before she passed on, um, because there was, you know, she was she was ill with cancer, and there were a lot of things we wanted to do get do together, like travel to Victoria, um, which is somewhere she took us a couple times when we were kids, and it just was too much of a hassle with the passports and all that stuff. Anyway, one of the things she said about this as we were deciding how we were going to spend our time together, yeah, is if it's not a yes, 
if it's not a clear yes, it's a no. Hmm. And so while that would have been nice, it was not a clear yes. Okay. And this really helped her, you know, prioritize things that were important to her at In the her end of her life. Yeah. yeah. And I was just thinking about that today, about all of the things that are um, kind of just ramping up again and starting up again and, and everything. And, and we can get really busy and we can get all flustered and crazy and stressed out and everything. And, and I just would like to pass that on to you guys that, you know what, if it's not a clear yes, it's a no. Okay. You don't have to say yes to everything. Okay. You should say only yes to the things that are clearly speak to your heart. Well, that's very beautiful. And I'm sure that's very useful that your mom left you that gift. Yes. Because Jen says yes to everything. Um, you know, you, you do tend to take on a little much. So yeah, that, that, that is a good way of prioritizing. Good job. Thank you, Emily. And thank you everybody for watching the show. Um, we'll be back in a few weeks or a month or so, whatever. I don't know what I'm thinking about now. It's getting a bit loopy. And uh, <laughs> questions, questions are all.com folks. Thanks for listening or watching. Talk to you later. So long. Bye-bye.